The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito, Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Doomerzan782, and Jude Hanlon. The GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Anyways, Mike, that's my idea to make a LinkedIn for specifically for mall Santas. Hmm, interesting. Would they have beard information on there? And you know what? I, I don't want to know. Uh, Neil, we're no. live. Oh, Mike. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope nobody steals that idea. It's been a, it's been a little while since we talked, Mike. You've traveled again recently. I got to know how was BC or British Columbia for the for the people who aren't from Canada. How was your trip? British Columbia was very nice. Uh, I got to do some skiing. I got to hang out with some friends. Friend of the show, Victor, a third member who we just heard a couple mm. seconds ago. Uh, I got to hang out with him, and he doesn't always talk like that. Surprisingly, that's not his normal voice. I was going to say, did he only talk in GameCube jingles? That would have been interesting. <laughs> that would, uh, where are we going today, uh, Victor? What, uh, what mountain are we hitting up? The GameCube was cool. <laughs> I, I, that's not information. <laughs> you wake up in the morning. It's time to read what's on the back of the cereal box. Oh, my God. That would be that's... a great way to wake up. <laughs> Just a little alarm going off. It's time to wake up, you lazy piece of crap. <laughs> that would have been awesome. No, I love British Columbia. The pictures looked absolutely crazy. I know that a lot of our listeners who aren't from around here probably – that's probably their number one place to visit. Uh, whenever I've spoken to people not from Canada, that they always say that they want to go to Canada, and they say like, "I'd love to go to BC," and I'm like, "Yeah, me too." <laughs> me too. And, yeah. You know, they're like, "Oh, aren't you aren't you close to that?" It's like, "No, no Toronto is very far from uh, from British Columbia." Yeah. But uh, yeah, looked uh, looked like a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully uh, you can go back again real soon. And did you check out any uh, video game stores while you were there, or just skiing? Just skiing. No video game stores this time. I didn't check in with the the store I was at last time where the guy knew yeah. who we were, which was kind of cool. But uh, no, uh, and I also, while I was on the plane, of course, I had some time and uh, I watched some of the new Wednesday series because I love Wednesday Adams. Uh, she is like my favorite character in anything. I identify oh. with her a lot as well. So I uh, always had a crush on her when I was growing up too. love Christina Ritchie. Uh, and she's in the new Wednesday Adams show as well. So that was kind of cool to see her. But uh, yeah, I only watched the first couple episodes. I really enjoy it so far. I, I love the Adams family as well. But I just want to give a little shout out to Wednesday. And I'm sure we'll be talking about her again real soon. Yeah, it's a really cool Netflix series. I I'm, I checked it out too, based on your review. You were talking about it on the Discord with uh, one of our friends. I think it was Zaffer, and uh, I was like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll check it out. I like the Adams Family too. Grew up with it in the '90s. I forget which version it was that was on YTV, but there was something around Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark. One of the Adams. Fa- <laughs> I don't know if that was the Christy Ritchie version, or I have to look it up. I'm not 100 percent sure, but it, it is cool mm-hmm. to uh, to go back into that world and see a, a new show based on uh, the, the original franchise made by Tim Burton. 
uh, yeah. music by Danny Elfman. You can you can you can yeah. tell <laughs> right away that oh, it's yeah. music by Danny. I was like, is that Danny Elfman? <laughs> it has to be Danny Elfman. Uh, but no, it's a really cool mystery show. Um, I've been really impressed with Netflix the past uh, year or so with like Squid Game and uh, Stranger Things and some original movies. I recently watched All Quiet on the Western Front. So it's funny mm. in a year when uh, Netflix got into a, a, a bit of trouble or something earlier in the year. I don't even remember why, but like they went through like a mass exodus of people uh canceling their subscriptions i feel like i've doubled down on them like ever since they brought seinfeld onto it uh yeah it's been yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been really good to uh, to have that and the office and now wednesday all in the same place and it's also been a really good week for me mike because we finally got a trailer for the upcoming beast wars movie coming out <gasps> next year mike i have been waiting for this movie for about 23 years or so since about grade one uh similar to the amount of time that i've been waiting for a carnage movie and uh, the trailer for Beast Wars doesn't fill me with a ton of hope. Where, where, where do you fall on the Beast Wars uh, train? Are you a fan? Well, I loved Beast Wars when I was a kid. I, yep. I grew up watching the Beast, the, well, so in Canada. Beasties. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so it was Beasties. I always hear different stories. Okay, so I remember it as Beasties yep. in Canada watching it. And I really, really liked it. It's it's a little tough to go back to today with oh, the yeah. animation style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, but it, was, it was actually pretty well written and a lot of a lot of fun to watch, especially as a kid kind of not knowing Transformers too well. It's a good, like, entry point into that world. But, yeah, I mean, the Beast Wars trailer is basically what I expected from a franchise that, has made these other Transformers movies that are obviously not great. Yeah, my my barometer for Transformers has always been uh, John, our friend who uh, has been mm. on the show once before. He's the biggest Transformers fan I know. He, he's got an office and it's packed from floor to ceiling with Transformers toys. So anytime a new movie comes out, I, I go to him to find out if it was good. And for the last what 15 years or so uh, they haven't been so <laughs> yeah. that's a good uh that, that's a good test for me and uh he's not a fan of beast wars though i i don't think or he is but not nearly to the extent as the uh the cars i'm the opposite yeah. where i didn't even really know what the transformers cars were until way later i only know new beasties and and beast wars on uh i'd watch it before school just about every day for several yeah. years and then saturday mornings it was uh, in rotation but it is hard to go back to with the cg graphics so i'm happy to see that they're making it into a, a full a full movie fans of beast wars are probably in the same boat wondering why are the cars here uh the original beast wars show does not take place when there are any humans so there's also people yeah. in the sh- in the movie i would much pr- have preferred a beast wars movie that was strictly the animals and the robots like no no humans no cars none of that just strictly prehistoric era uh, we'll have to wait and see what the movie's like. Uh, we only actually got to see a few of the characters. We saw Optimus Prime and Cheetor. Rhinox was there. And then a bunch of Transformers. Uh, other than Bumblebee, I'm not quite sure who any of them were. So mm-hmm. time will tell. I'll try to be there day one, and maybe we can review it on the show. But uh, yeah. we'll have to put it. I'll a... watch it with you. Oh, great. Cool. I have a friend to go with me that night. That sounds good. <laughs> we'll have to put a pin in that and uh, talk about some Spotify news. We finally got our Spotify rap numbers. It's that time of year again, ladies and gentlemen. Spotify mm. will publish all of your stats for the year. Year, which is incredibly creepy but they make it fun so we're going to talk about <laughs> our statistics before we talk about our statistics about uh, the music that mike and i have enjoyed this year let's talk a little bit about the stats of the gamecube was cool all in all mike you have those uh yeah. you shared them on the discord but uh for the listeners at home how did we do this year we did really incredible honestly i was like blown away by the numbers uh it was cool to see especially the increased numbers because this was our first full year podcast or this was our first 
full year after another full year of podcasting, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes. Uh, because before, in 2021, we saw our increased numbers, but they were obviously insane because we were only podcasting for about six months in 2020. So this time we actually got to see the real increase, and we increased listeners by about 200%, Woo. which is really, really cool. Increased followers by 141%. Uh, and uh, we did really well for a lot of, uh, a lot of you. We have... Top 10 podcast, 1,500 people have us in their top 10, which I thought was crazy. That's, That's like a really amazing and uh, heartwarming stat, really, honestly, is seeing that. Uh, 1,000 fans, over 1,000 for top five podcasts. Mm-hmm. And my favorite stat here, are we are the number one podcast for 330 people. So those 330 people out there are really just the best people on earth. You all are amazing. You have made, let us go on this journey for two and a half years. So huge kudos to all of you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm super thankful for anybody who chooses to download uh, even yeah. one episode of our show. Honestly, like if we can, if we can make your workday a little better, your you know, be with you on your commute. That's really all, all I, I hope for, but to be the number one mm-hmm. podcast for 330 people, I always associate it with like a bus full of people, really. Like if a hundred people download our podcast, that's roughly a full bus load of people. So uh, to put it into that context, we are the number one podcast for three whole buses of people a day, which is really cool. Uh, I, I love that. that yeah, that's yeah. absolutely crazy. And uh, we've also infiltrated 71 countries. Our podcast has found its way into uh, number one, obviously, the U.S., Number two, Canada. Number three, the UK. That's got to be with my mom's family, I'm sure. Number four, Australia, <laughs> probably because of Tristan, who's going to be joining the show a little bit later today. Yeah. And number five, Sweden. And I don't know why. <laughs> sure. Thanks, Sweden, for helping us out there. And one, one stat that I found, found really interesting is that we created 4,400 minutes of content this year. Wow. Which that alone is pretty crazy to just think about. Uh, but that's 98% more than anyone else in our category. Uh, so we are clearly putting out too much content, Neil. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, we create more content than 90% of other podcasts is basically what yeah. that means. So we're in the top. We're making either we're making too much or everyone else is slacking a lot. So I don't know, just by maintaining our one week schedule that we've been very adamant about sticking to since day one. Uh, I think that that helps. We've managed to keep yep. a very strict schedule. And uh, I think a lot of people appreciate that. They can rely on us to be out every single Thursday, and we will continue to do so in 2023. But we're going to talk about more about that in a couple of weeks when we announce our next project. Let's transition over a little bit more to what we have been listening to, Mike, over uh, the last year or so. Uh, I can start with my stats. So I listened to 91,997 minutes of music and podcasts in the last year, which I think is pretty good. I, I remember trying to, I'm saying at the beginning of the year, trying to crack 100K. It's hard. It's hard. I I <laughs> listen hard. I listen to music and podcasts all day, like while I'm driving at my job, when I'm working at my desk. I try to listen to music when I work out. That's when I get a lot of my listening in. And I couldn't quite crack 92,000 minutes. So I'm going to have to work really hard this year. But uh, I listen to over 2,000 bands, over 7,000 songs. And uh, my top wow. five bands of the year, I'll go in uh, ascending order. So number five, Stand Atlantic a band that I discovered in 2020. Number four, Dragged Under. They're a band that I discovered this year. I listen to them uh, when I work out. They're they're a heavy 
kind of punk band. I don't know. Uh, number three, Honest Heart Collective, another band that I discovered this year. Absolutely fell in love with. Went to go see them uh, in the summertime. Really, I, I knew they were going to end up somewhere in here. So that's really cool. Small band from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Number two, Ooh. The Wonder Years, my favorite band of all time. They had a new mm-hmm, album come out this year, so uh, really cool to see them here. And number one, uh, no surprise to me or my fiance, but that is Simple Plan. Uh, they are my number one band of the year. I love Simple Plan, man. I've loved them since I was like eight, yeah, nine hey. years old. But uh, I'm in the top 0.05% of Simple Plan listeners uh, around the world. And uh, yeah, really cool to, to see them there. This is pretty much where I thought my list would land. I thought Jimmy Eat World might be in the top five, but uh, Dragged Under, I guess, probably uh, took their place. But uh, yeah, those are my uh, top bands that I listened to this year. What about you, Mike? What are your uh, Spotify stats of 2022? Yeah, Jimmy World just missed it for me, too. I bet there's sixth on my list. Mm. But uh, Bo Burnham, he's number five because he put out his uh, Inside Outtakes, which was uh, pretty good, honestly, just on its own uh, as an album. And then, of course, you got to go back and listen to Inside a couple times while you're listening to the outtakes. So uh, that was really fun. And I guess I listened to it enough to, to be number five. Um, Father John Misty, who's uh, one of my favorite artists, and I saw him in concert this year for the first time since 2015. 15 i think so it'd be in a while uh thanks to covid basically uh he was number four bad religion one of our favorite bands ever Sweet. i i i think i have a bad religion playlist that i put on the, uh whenever i go in the car a lot and i think that's why it uh it was number three it's just 10 hours of 21st century digital boy <laughs> yeah just over <laughs> the and two over versions again. though you got to flip-flop between the two different versions <laughs> A band I found last uh, year is Turnstile, and I love Turnstile. They are killing it right now. Uh, Their new album that came out last year, Glow On, I listened to that a ton, and uh, that's why they were number two on my list. Saw them in Boston a couple weeks ago, and that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And number one is Pup, Uh, Toronto band Pup. You and I both love Pup. Uh, They put out a new album this year, which which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. It absolutely killed uh, put on a great show as well in my South in Toronto. So yeah, that no surprises, honestly, for my top artists, other than maybe Bo Burnham. I was surprised he was five, but I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, minutes listened to way less than you, uh, 30,000, just over 30,000. I don't think Spotify counts uh, offline listens because I listen to a lot of my stuff offline. So I feel like maybe it doesn't count that as much. Who knows? But you, you listen to it on your phone. Like you don't turn your data off, do you? I do. Oh, yeah. So it might. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I don't. Well, that's hard to say because I listen to a lot of my music too when I ha- when I run and I use my iPod Touch, and that's mm. never. That's only online when I get back. So I think it syncs when you get back to going online again. Oh, maybe it, it must because yeah. I otherwise I would not have racked up this many minutes without my. Uh, that's true. Because I run a lot in the uh, the spring and summer. So that's yeah. So I think it does sync. But you listen to a lot of records too. Like you buy physical music. That's true. That That's why I figured yours was so much lower because you actually buy these albums and listen to them on vinyl. Yeah, that's true. Actually, now that I think about it, I guess I do. I, I don't just collect them. I do listen to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I guess that's where that eats some of that time. I think I probably had around 30,000 last year too. But uh yeah, no, always nice to see Spotify rap, but it's always extra nice to see the uh, the the podcaster's version of it, and uh, and that always just gets me because I'm like, oh my god, this is really cool. So, <laughs> again, thank you to everyone out there. Yeah, thank you again, everyone out there. Looking forward to seeing what the Spotify rap brings in 2023, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what that brings. Mike, I think it's time that we uh, we go back to one of our favorite reoccurring segments. What do you think? Yes, Neil. As a big episode, it's time to do the mailbag. mailbag! 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so by leaving us a message on any social media platform that you follow us on, or you can leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast. We will read them on the show, just like Mike, who wrote into us today. We have Jordan Walker from Audible. That's right. I didn't know you could write in what? on Audible, but uh, <laughs> Audible, I guess our podcast is on there, and uh, they write, I'm not certain how I came into contact with this podcast, but I'm happy I did. That's it. <laughs> I, that's very succinct. I love that. I like how he just that Jordan uh, just happened to say like I don't know how I came across this podcast. It's, that's really funny, actually. Yeah, it's like it's just audit, like you woke up and we were playing. That's what I, I think happens to a lot of our listeners. They're just like I guess the GameCube podcast is playing now, so I guess I'm gonna learn about the GameCube today. Yep, gonna learn about uh, whatever <laughs> random t- puzzle game or movie tie-in game it is that we're talking about. Whatever you're gonna listen to us talk about. Moving on to Cube Dude on Patreon. Wow, can't believe you guys are almost at the end of the GameCube library. What an incredible journey it's been. Can't wait to hear what the rest of the future holds for you guys. Us too. (laughs) Me too. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be an exciting time. And yeah, we'll be announcing some new stuff in the coming weeks. So stay tuned, Cube Dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Can't wait to hear what uh, what we're going to do next. Uh, Mike's going to announce it to me as well. And uh, I'm I'm going (laughs) to listen to Mike talk about it alone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right, Neil. I'll just, I'll I'll, I'll do the podcast by myself. That's a big reveal. But uh, uh, Dean Donian, also on Patreon, writes, congrats on coming up to the end of the North American GameCube library. It's been so cool being along for the ride. My question is, what is the key to being so consistent with your recording and releases? You guys have never, that I can remember, missed a beat with releases releasing a quality episode every week. And I would imagine that's not an easy accomplishment. Nope. Uh, Thanks for putting this project together. Can't wait to see what comes next. Crossing my fingers for an Oreos or cool podcast. Oh my God. That's an idea. That's at the top of my list now as a, as a potential podcast Mm -hmm. for uh, for our next project. But no, Uh, Dean Donnie, and that's a really cool question. Um, It's uh, when we started doing this in 2020, I remember we, when Mike and I had our meeting, we both verbally and fullheartedly agreed that we had to do this every single week we wanted to stick to it come hell or high water and we we just every week it was some weeks were a lot harder than others obviously sometimes it worked out well where we both had a free three hours to kill on a sunday and we met up sometimes we recorded a lot of these podcasts piecemeal after work sometimes i was finished work at 10 o'clock at night and we recorded them then and there were a lot of days when i personally i don't know about mike but i personally did not feel like recording no. but you know the mic the mic's turned on and you just you just get into into character and start talking about gamecube and all of those kind of stresses uh melt away uh as it as it's uh as, as it happens but that's really for me all it was was just you know week by week bit by bit game by game and uh every podcast turned out to be something that i was in some way proud of even yeah. though i didn't always have all my energy there there was always something that came out of it that i laughed at or that i learned and i can tell that you know, people like you got uh, got something out of those episodes as well which which means the world to me and that's that's what kept me going what about you mike yeah honestly i mean exactly that for sure i've definitely had some times where i'm like oh god i gotta talk about this because not only is it sitting in front of a mic and talking but it's the research behind it we we we, yep. we want to make sure that we're not talking out of our ass so we we try and have stuff researched beforehand we have notes we have uh everything ready i think one thing that really helped was having we use a software called notion to kind of it's like a, a note-taking slash kind of organization tool uh, and that really helped because we could see all our episodes that were coming up. We saw our backlog of episodes as well. We always had that kind of big backlog there so that if we ever needed to, we could just throw something in if we wanted to do a side mission or something. And seeing the backlog all the time was like, you know what? Okay, this this will be a good week this week. Let's like kind of build up to that. Uh, for me, at least, that helped a lot is always kind of having that as a visual 
and knowing where we mm-hmm. were in the year, where we were in the whole podcast as well. And uh, I feel like it's like working out because uh, when you work out, it's always nice to work out with a buddy who's pushing you. And so it's nice to the two of us, like if it just, if it was just one of us doing this, there's no way we would ever put out an episode every week. Like we would have fallen off so long, so far long ago. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. If this was me by myself, I would have fallen off after episode 12, <laughs> yeah. probably. Like, there's no way we would have made it to episode 123. So uh, definitely having a good partner is another uh, key aspect to yes. it. Absolutely. But we appreciate uh, we appreciate the fan mail, and uh, we'll consider Oreos are cool as our, as our next <laughs> podcast. But until then, Mike, we have to cover some more GameCube games. So why don't we jump into the episode today? What do you say? That's right, Neil. The last AAA game on the GameCube. That's correct. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 123, 123 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 546 games, nine more to go. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. Edmunda, she begrudgingly helped. Oh, nice. Minda, yeah. Was it the little Minda or the, the full-grown Minda? A little Minda for this one. Of course. Of course, of course. Last week, we talked about movie tie-in games from 2005 to 2007. We will be continuing that conversation next week with part two. My God, there are so many movie tie-ins. Please go and take a listen to that episode. This week, we are talking about the third Legend of Zelda game on the GameCube, plus the collections, I suppose. This was the last one that everyone was waiting for on the GameCube since it had been announced back in 2000, the mature and realistic Zelda game that was meant to take Ocarina of Time and make it bigger, darker. And we are here today to talk about the last AAA episode on the GameCube was cool. Welcome to the Twilight Princess episode. But Mike, before we bring uh, our callers onto the show today to talk about their memories and experience with this game, what are your memories of Twilight Princess and when did you first play it? I first played this game on the GameCube, rented it from Roger's Video, probably, which is you know nice. the equivalent of Blockbuster, and I played it a ton. And I don't know why I didn't even realize that the Wii was coming out, or maybe I did and I just didn't care, but it was definitely the last game I played on my GameCube. Uh, And probably one of the last, like, adventure-type games and, like, AAA-type games that I played until university. This was kind of my last stand as a gamer in that sense, because after this, it was basically just Wii Sports, Guitar Hero, stuff like that, and then not really many games at all after that. So this was... I, I always think of Twilight Princess as like the last hand for me um, <laughs> when I was a kid. And you were nice enough to buy me this uh, this copy uh, on that I have on GameCube maybe like six or seven years ago, I think. It's quite a while now. Uh, and uh, I know you were wanting to get it for a good price, and now it's skyrocketed in price. So thank you very much for getting it when you did. Um, sure. And uh, – I, I really love this game, and I think a lot of it has to do with the time and place. I remember where I was when I first played it. I was 13 years old. I was really, really enjoying myself playing it. I, I remember taking all of, like, Christmas break to just play this game. I uh, nonstop um, played through it. I love the wolf parts. It's funny. I don't like the wolf parts as much anymore, but as a kid, I really, really loved them because uh, it was something different, I guess. And, and I, I remember thinking that this was like the game for me like Wind Waker came out at a perfect time for us with 2003 we we're like 10 
a little younger, so the, the 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 bright, colorful atmosphere worked a bit better. But then I'm, you know, I'm a teenager now, and I'm like, you know what? I want something a bit more edgy. People are playing God of War, and they're playing Halo and Call of Duty. I want these these edgier kind of uh, graphics and these uh, the kind of gameplay. And I kind of got that in in some ways with um with Twilight Princess. But I what I really got was a really interesting story that I hadn't really ever seen before. I never really played any kind of long games like these other RPGs like Final Fantasy X or Fable or, or other uh, similar kind of style games at the time. So this was like one of the first uh, forays for me into this kind of world of a big adventure game with a lot of dialogue, a lot of story, a lot of character development, and a, a 40-hour game, basically. Yeah, that's that's an incredible story. I don't remember buying you this game, which is funny. I, I know that I did. did? I bought you a lot of GameCube <laughs> games in the last several years. That's the only thing I know what to get you now is GameCube games. This is just the life I live. Sure. <laughs> uh, it makes it re- you're really easy to shop for. <laughs> but no, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that I bought it for you and I did too, because uh, I wouldn't buy it for you now. Nope. That's for sure. It's <laughs> very pricey. But uh, yeah, I, I did not play this game back in the day when it came out. I did not play Twilight Princess until 2014. It was uh, a year between college years, I remember specifically. That was actually a really good summer for for video games for me. I was really back into collecting for GameCube that summer. Mm -hmm. I think I played, like, all the big GameCube games that year because I missed a lot of the the first-party games. I've mentioned that a lot on this podcast. I think that summer I played, like, Luigi's Mansion, Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, Double Dash, Metroid Prime. I bought them all. Like, I bought a lot of really good GameCube games that summer, and they were all really affordable. Like, I think this was the most expensive one at 50 bucks at the time. Yeah. It's yeah. shot up a lot since then. We'll talk about that later. But uh, this was my second 3D Zelda game that I ever played, the first one being Ocarina of Time. Uh, a summer or two before that, I picked it up on N64 and loved it. I, I played it a lot. I didn't quite understand it right away. Zelda did not click with me right away for some reason. I found it complicated nope, and obtuse, and I had to look up a lot of guides, and I, yep. it, it, made, it got me mad, actually, more than anything. I just wanted to, because <laughs> yeah. I was so used to playing, like, the main, you know, superhero games and SpongeBob games, and there was this game that was 30, 40 hours long and didn't tell you what to do. So you definitely have to learn how to play Zelda before you can... Uh, before you can jump into to games like this. But no, I remember uh, I was in college and a group of people were really into video games. Uh, a guy and a girl specifically in our group really loved talking about Zelda games. And Twilight Princess was the game that came up for them as being one of their favorite games of all time. And they're definitely their favorite Zelda game. And I had heard of it. I, I, I remember it coming out when we were in high school. It came out for the Wii, obviously, and that was a really big deal. I remember seeing Wolf Link on a lot of merch nintendo magazines and stuff i remember seeing it on nintendo merch a long time before twilight princess even came out it's weird like the twilight princess link is the link that i remember when we were like 10 even though it was it was nowhere close to coming out yet like they definitely used the twilight princess link long before twilight princess came out so smash bros i mean like that too yeah that's that's kind of where i associate uh this kind of twilight princess link and and zelda as well right it's the same basic uh idea and it's funny that like twilight princess link is you see that as like link's main avatar almost everywhere now which i i always find kind of funny like if you go to the nintendo store and you buy something there and you get the link bag that's twilight Mm -hmm. princess link on the bag Almost always. It's almost always Twilight Princess Link or um, Wind Waker Link or uh, the 8-Bit Link. It's usually one of those. Yeah. Because the the, uh, the N64 one doesn't look good. No. Uh, <laughs> Skyward Sword 
no one likes that game. And then <laughs> Breath of the Wild, I don't know. Like, there's nothing super standout, like, about that character design. The Twilight Princess Link is a really cool model. Uh, you're totally right, though. That is the main design that you see. When you think mm-hmm. Link, I, I think of Twilight Princess Link. But yep. no, like, I, I really associate this game with that summer of 2014, playing GameCube games in my in my bedroom after working a long day at the deli. I would come home and play games until 1, 2 in the morning sometimes. And this was one of those games. I specifically remember listening to Blink-182's Dogs Eating Dogs <laughs> while playing this game. So, <laughs> I, so it's funny. kind of... It is funny because you play this game as a wolf a lot of the time, and I yeah. associate that album, which has a similar-looking dog on the cover, uh, with, with this game. I have a lot of albums that I associate with games, and that's just one of them for some reason is Dogs Eating Dogs by Blink-182. Um, but no, I I especially remember being taken taken back with the graphics of the game and the controls and, and how expansive the world was compared to the N64 game, and the cutscenes were incredible. And I, I, I don't remember not liking a lot of the things that a lot of other people were talking about. Like I didn't mind the opening, the opening cutscenes as much like the opening tutorials. Like, yeah, it was long. Like I definitely understood that. But once you get into the game, there's a lot to uncover and, and it, it moves ahead at a quicker pace than other Zelda games did. Like you have a Pona right away and you get a sword yep. pretty quickly and the characters actually talk to you and kind of tell you where to go, which was nice compared to uh, Ocarina of Time where I wasn't really a hundred percent sure where to go after leaving my, uh, my little woodland village. Yeah, very fair. Yeah, this game made made a little bit more sense, and and every character had something interesting to say, and and the dungeons were all really cool and different. Some of the boss fights were incredibly standout to me. Some were not so much. We're going to talk about a little bit later, but I I did grow over time to to unfortunately the longer I, it sat in my brain, I liked it less as I played more 3D Zelda games. This one just kept sinking lower and lower into my my 3D Zelda list. Unfortunately, to the point where I have now played all 3D Zelda games from the N64 up to the Switch. And as we like to do, Mike, you and I love ranking things. So before we bring our callers onto the show, I think it's probably best that uh, that we rank our 3D Zelda games. I'm pretty sure we did this back on the Wind Waker episode, but let's see if our lists have changed at all. So we'll start with you. What are your uh, what are your six, uh, six 3D Zelda games in order from uh, least favorite to favorite? Well, Skyward Sword, that's where it's going to be. Yeah, it's, that makes sense. Uh, the HD remaster was good. It's just still going to be down there, unfortunately, because there's so many great 3D Zelda games. Number five, which is always controversial, and it's it's always at number five for me, is Ocarina of Time. Um, wow. I, I It's a really good game. Like The top five are all very, very good. It's just not my favorite because I enjoy number four, Majora's Mask, more than Ocarina. Sure. And then I enjoy Twilight Princess at number three, even more than those two. Wow. And then I enjoy Wind Waker, uh, the second most. And of course, Breath of the Wild is my number one. Breath of the Wild at number one. Yeah, Ocarina of Time at number five. You must get into a lot of bar fights saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, and having Twilight Princess at number three, how could he? But uh, of course, you know, GameCube is, that's my console. That's, you know, I didn't grow up with the N64. So uh, for me, the GameCube games are obviously going to be much uh uh, fresher in my mind really and and i played sure. them a lot more and i have the childhood memories of them too that i kind of hold on to i didn't play ocarina until i got a 3ds and played it on 3ds so and i i did play majora's mask because that uh, i had a friend who had an n64 and he had that it was in 2000 so I, we were a little older as well and that's why i do have some memories with that game but um yeah that's my list neil what about yours yeah. 
Yeah, no, totally fair to to your opinion. And as long as your opinion has Skyward Sword at number six, I, <laughs> I respect the list, honestly. That's like right. really, it, yeah. it's really, if you had that list flipped, I would be concerned. That's that's really e- yes. the problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> Absolutely. True. But uh, no, starting with number six for me as well, Skyward Sword, I would be happy if I never have to play that game again. I didn't play the Switch version. I know that there's improvements there. I did play the Wii version. It was the longest month and a half of my life. <laughs> uh, tw- <laughs> Twilight Princess at number five. Like I said, it just kept sinking below all the other 3D Zelda games that I played, uh, putting it just below Ocarina of Time, which even at number four, Ocarina of Time, that's really low, I'm sure, to co- yeah. compare to most other people's lists. A lot of people have Ocarina of Time at number one and number two. I completely respect it, but really all four of these top four games are great games in my opinion. Yeah. And the game that I like just a little bit more than Ocarina of Time is Majora's Mask. It's a really neat game uh, with a time mechanic and it's 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 got the masks and everything and it's a little bit shorter than a regular Zelda game. It's dark, it's twisted. Uh, I love I love everything about Majora's Mask. N64 and 3DS version. Both are great. Yep. Number two, Wind Waker. Up until Breath of the Wild, it was my favorite uh, Zelda game. 3D Zelda Same game at here. least. It's bright. It's colorful. The music is so good. It's best played on Wii U in, in beautiful HD. Yeah. That game should be on every single console uh, along with all of the other classic Nintendo games. Wind Waker is just an absolute classic. If you're a fan of Nintendo, you have to play Wind Waker. Uh, like right now, go out and play it. <laughs> and number one, Breath of the Wild. Like that game was like a life changer for me. It came out at the perfect time, 2017. Switch, day one, bought it and played it for 200 hours. Bought the DLC, bought all the Amiibos. Uh, mm-hmm. Played it with you, Mike. Played it with uh, friend Zaffer and Dan. We talked about it for months, it felt like. Um, that game was just like a lifestyle game for me. And, and I had never played a game ever, ever like that. Open World got me into open worlds that I never thought would happen. And uh, I'm so looking forward to uh, Tears of the Kingdom in 2023. So that's my list right now. And really, you could jumble that up any other way. I'd be totally fine with it, as long as Skyward Sword is at the bottom, as I said. Yep, I would. I, I love your list too, and, and I mean, basically the same as as mine. Just the little flip with uh, Twilight Princess. Uh, yep. And on that note, why don't we talk about Twilight Princess for a couple hours here, Neil? Because we're going to be having a lot of guests on to talk about this game, go in depth into it, really dive deep into it because it is our last AAA game. We really want to do it justice here, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be an interesting one. So, Neil, why don't you read the stats for uh, for this title? All right, sounds good. The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess was released on December 11th, 2006. Eight games to go. Developed by Nintendo EAD. Published by Nintendo. It's also on Wii and, of course, remastered on the Wii U. It's also on NVIDIA Shield TV. I don't know about that. Rates a (laughs) 9.6 out of 10. It's slightly better than the Wii version on Metacritic. That's a 9.5. Priced today at around $175. It's an action. Oh, my God. I know, it's, it hurts me to say that, Mike. And it's, of course, an action-adventure game. If you've played a Zelda game, you know exactly what you're getting. It's the 13th game in the series, and as of September 30th, 2015, the game on GameCube and Wii has sold 8.85 million copies around the world, uh, 1.43 of those uh, on GameCube, which puts it just ahead of Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness and just behind F-Zero GX, which mm. is somewhat low uh, in GameCube sales, but as we're going to talk about later, this was uh, it was heavily outsold by the Wii version, of course. The Wii was a huge deal in 2006, so it was it was doomed to fail on the GameCube sales-wise, but not doomed to fail in the hearts of many GameCube fans around the world. Not, it's true. And um, I would like to just take us back very quickly here to 2006. Let's back to December uh, 11th. Whoa! It just released on 
Switch or on the Wii and uh, and GameCube. Wow, we had Switch. Princess that's now. weird. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I can't believe the Switch is here. But it's. I did a lot of thinking uh, this week, and it's. You know, we talked a little about on the Wind Waker episode. We really dove into kind of Wind Waker being the watershed moment on the GameCube. 2003, everything's going pretty well for the GameCube, and then Wind Waker comes out, still does really well, sells very well, and then things fall off. And I just wanted to kind of go back and talk about that just a little bit. We start on the GameCube's library. We have Luigi's Mansion, Melee, Pikmin. Uh, those games, fifth best-selling game for Luigi's Mansion, best-selling game for Melee, 23rd for Pikmin, not as good. But Damn still it. a very strong start, great launch day, second year of uh, the GameCube. We have Sunshine, the third best-selling game on the GameCube. We have Metroid Prime, which is the seventh best-selling game, and Animal Crossing sitting at sixth. So already right there uh, in November 2003, we have nine out of the top 10 best-selling games have already been released. And that includes Double Dash and Wind Waker and Mario Party as well. So uh, we're looking real good, November 2003. Mostly the, the GameCube is going to do really well, right? Well, then we have our steep decline that happens. Pikmin 2, Prime 2, Four Swords Adventures. None of them cracked the top 25 in sales, Neil. Really sad to see that in 2004. We do get Pokemon Coliseum and F-Zero GX, which sit at 9th and 13th best-selling, respectively. But that's a far cry from, you know, these other games that we had that were really pushing sales for the GameCube. And after that year-end 2004, we kind of just go into movie tie-ins and license games for the rest of 2005 to 2007. Uh, the only other games we have are Paper Mario, which does okay, sitting at 11th place. Gale of Darkness at 20th. Uh, Jungle Beat, Donkey Konga, those don't crack the top 25. Same with Fire Emblem. And then, last but not least, Twilight Princess, sitting at only 17th best-selling of, uh, for all the GameCube games. I wonder if that's a thing with most consoles in general, though. How, like, the most games sell in the first two to three years of a console's life cycle. Like, it, it's not... I, I know what you're saying. Like, it would be really cool if over the entire five to six years of a console's life that it sells... Every game sells better than the next. But that doesn't really seem to be the way it works. I think it's no. just people's interest in the console wanes as the years go yep. by. Like, I'm even looking at the Switch sales right now. And GameCube's a little bit different because GameCube didn't have quote-unquote real Pokemon games on it. That's going to make a lot of people mad. It didn't have mainline... No, yeah, it didn't have mainline games. The mainline Pokemon games were on Game Boy Advance. Everybody knows that. But the Switch has those games on it, so the Switch top 10 list changes a lot more because of that. You see the new Pokemon games like we're seeing right now with uh, uh, Violet and Scarlet. Like Those games are going to tick up onto the top 10, and last year it changed again with uh, Sword and Shield. And then the year before that, like Let's Go and everything. Like All of those games really change it up. But if you look at the top 10 best-selling Switch games, the list, they're all from 2017 to 2019, with the exception of Pokemon and Animal Crossing. And I don't think Animal Crossing would have sold well if it weren't for COVID. I really think yeah. COVID did tick up that game a lot. Otherwise, it probably yep. would have sat more in the 15 to 20 million unit, which is still really good. Being the best-selling or the second best-selling Switch game, I think has a lot to do with COVID. But I agree. You look at it, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which came out the first year of the Switch. Super Smash Bros. came out the second year of the Switch. Breath of the Wild, day one. Pokemon, already talked about that. Mario Odyssey, year one. Super Mario Party, year two. Pokemon, talked about that. Ring Fit was year two. Pokemon, again. So... Those are the top 10 best-selling games, and the majority of them were in the first two years of the Switch's life cycle. So, But you're totally right that uh, the Wind Waker was kind of the um, the peak of GameCube, and yeah. it, it was sad to see the decline after that. 
it was so steep, I think, is what I know. my, like, because you're 100% right. Consoles, that's just how it works, right? The, mm-hmm. It does really well at the beginning and then slowly tapers off. And that's the key, slowly tapers off. This sure. was a cliff. Like, it just <laughs> went down. Like, 2004, the t- Nintendo executives must have been thinking, oh, my God, like, the N64 was kind of a failure for us. Uh, you know, it didn't sell as well as the SNES. And now we have an even worse failure on our hands. Like, yeah. that's, um, that's a pretty sound the alarm, right? And... Mm. It would be really interesting to be in the room when they were making Twilight Princess and having the thought of like, well, is this going to be for the, just the GameCube now? I think we're going to have to have a new console out. And maybe what would have changed based on it, they clearly didn't change enough because they had to uh, do the last minute fix of, of flipping the screen uh, for uh, because Link is left-handed and you couldn't have a left-handed nunchuck. But uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why they didn't just keep it, but that's besides the point. Um, it, it just is, is too bad to see it kind of go down like this for the GameCube. You know, it, uh, it, it, at least we got a nice send off with a really good game on here. Think of like the Wii U in the same way, right? Uh, very similar kind of style where the Wii U started okay. Uh, and then just kind of took off a cliff, uh, but still had really, really good games. And luckily a lot of those games have now gone onto the Switch and luckily Breath of the Wild was also on both the Switch and the Wii U. But, um, it's interesting with the Wii where... We, of course, at the time was hailed as this amazing thing that was going to save Nintendo, and it did. But the nostalgia for the Wii really, I don't think, is going to be there. And still isn't there, uh, just because the console is is seen much more of as, a, as a gimmick than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most people will look fondly on the Wii because of that first experience, experiencing motion controls, really. It's not yeah. so much the game experiences, with a few exceptions. You've got your Mario Galaxies and your your Smash Bros or whatever on there, of course. But yeah, for the most part, it is the gimmick of motion controls on Wii. And it, it like it was really cool to be, you know, growing up with the GameCube and, and being a part of all of these game releases as they were coming out. But it is kind of sad to look back at it 20 years later and see the stats, see the numbers, read about how Nintendo struggled as a company. But it's it's still really fun. I I, I love this part yes. of video games, just looking, at, <laughs> looking at how well they do and how the console wars aren't really a thing anymore, but they kind of are between the companies in terms of their business models and everything, just not so much amongst the fans anymore. But uh, this is an incredibly nerdy way to talk about video games. I think it's about time that we jumped into some Twilight Princess talk at large with uh, with some callers, Mike. So uh, who's joining us today for our first uh, first caller of the show? Good idea, Neil. Let's bring on our first caller of the show, which is Tristan. And we're really happy to have Tristan on again. He was last on for the Metal Gear Solid episode. But uh, today we're going to have him on to talk about Twilight Princess, of course. But before we get into some TP talk, uh, we have to ask you, Tristan, what is your favorite 3D Zelda game of all time? Oh, uh, my, my favorite uh, 3D Zelda game is actually Breath of the Wild. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know nice. a lot of people obviously share that opinion. It is such a different kind of game experience. But uh, the reason why it's so special for me um, is definitely just because you can just do whatever you want and approach gameplay however you want. I've never felt a game like that. Uh, yeah, that's why it's so special to me. I've got a lot of good memories playing that one. Pretty much all of my friends have played it. They've never been convinced to pick up a Zelda game beforehand. So even if you don't like it, um, I will say, convince your friends to play that one first and they will go back through the rest of the series. It always works. It's true. It's, uh, I mean, it's in my top five for sure. It probably kind of rotates to number one sometimes. I know, Neil, I think it's your number one game of all time. Yep. 
that never rotates always my number one like it, it's not even a question for me like it was rotating number one before breath of the wild it was always between wind waker and majora's mask uh but then once i played breath of the wild i was like well this is it and uh it has not teetered since then so firmly at number one for the last uh geez five and a half years which is insane to think yeah if you can believe it five and a half years since breath of the wild came out and of course we talked about wind waker on this episode or on this podcast uh many many weeks ago i guess uh Almost two years ago yes. now, I think. I was going to say many, a couple of years ago now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Literally years ago. And I always think of Breath of the Wild as a bit of a successor to Wind Waker. And we talked a little bit about why that is and the whole kind of uh, discussion around Wind Waker when it came out. And we, of course, got our edgy Zelda game as we were promised at Space World in 2001. We got Twilight Princess. We uh, got to play this game in 2006 for either the Wii or the GameCube. So... First question, Tristan, would be, did you play this game on the Wii or the GameCube first? Uh, yeah, so I actually played, oh gosh, I borrowed it for a friend. I played half of it on Wii, uh, and then I eventually got the Wii U copy, which I did finish. And now I have all three, so, mm. you know, it's it's a nice little Triforce of games there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the TP Triforce. <laughs> yeah, that's actually my initials as well, so every time I hear that, I'm just like, oh... <laughs> True. (laughs) Very true. That's, of course, the number two reason why we brought you on today, uh, because of your initials. That makes you super qualified. (laughs) It also stands for my favorite show, Twin Peaks. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's all coming together. Uh, (laughs) Look at that. that. Now, which which version of the game do you prefer? Like you've played. I haven't played the Wii version. I've only played the GameCube and the Wii U version. I, I go back and forth. That's the one that I teeter on, whether or not I prefer the Wii U for its HD or the GameCube because it's on the GameCube. But do you have a preference between the three? Uh, look, I'm going to come back from my statement about Resident Evil 4. Um, I'm not a big <laughs> fan of HD remasters purely because, you know, they're just bringing up the textures or not even and just making it 1080p. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think it's... Uh, it's it's not necessarily lazy. They did actually put a lot of work into the game, but I will always go back to the GameCube version. I know it's not widescreen or anything, but the visuals just on my CRT... Uh, they just pop so much more, you know, the contrast, all the colors, it just looks so much better because it was made for that device. The Wii version was a bit of a, you know, uh, we'll, we'll chuck it on the Wii because, you know, it'll make way more money. And I'm glad it did because it sold like 10 million copies or something. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, GameCube all the way. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I personally would have to agree with that. I, I haven't played the Wii U version because I never owned a Wii U. Neil was the Wii U owner in our friend group, and there's always there's always that one weird guy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, he obviously owned it and played it, and he got the little Minda uh, amiibo as well, which I was super jealous of when it came out. Holding it right now, um, actually. Ooh, nice. <laughs> I have I have two. <laughs> Don't ask what, why. What what do you make them kiss? What the, what the hell do you do with them? Uh, I mean, they're not kissing at the moment, but I mean, I'll, I'll definitely consider um, that. I've just been redoing my entire room, so you know, okay, that might nice. happen. Yeah, but yeah, for me, the the Wii U version uh, from seeing gameplay, uh, you know, it looks nice. Of course, the, the things are updated, like you were saying, the textures are nicer. Uh, I know that they also shortened a lot of the wolf. Uh, areas in the beginning and a couple of tutorials shortened just like they did with the Skyward Sword HD remaster. That one is better. <laughs> Don't get it that, on the That Wii. one is certainly better because <laughs> you can actually use a not a Wiimote playing it so that's a huge yeah. bonus. But but I think like the ability to play Twilight Princess with a GameCube controller is just like, uh, that that puts it way ahead for me in every way. Yeah. Uh, yep. 
it just and and yeah, playing it on a CRT, it does look really good, especially the 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 character models. I don't know I, f I found the character models looked really crisp for whatever reason uh, on the GameCube version and on the Wii U remaster. It basically looked the same. Uh, obviously, the landscape was the the biggest difference. But Neil, you are the one who's actually played it. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, the the textures and the environments are definitely better in the the Wii U version. Like it doesn't have that sort of uh, fog or uh, blur that some of the um, the environments and mm -hmm. characters have in the GameCube. And I'm assuming the Wii version as well, because the Wii and the yes. GameCube are similar resolution power. The Wii is basically like a GameCube stacked on top of a DVD player. Uh, it's Basically, <laughs> basically all it is. Um, the, the main thing about the Wii U version that I liked, not so much the... I love my Amiibo. The Amiibo support was fine. It was mainly just the fact that I had the map on the gamepad. That was really what sold it for me. I, Ooh, I love having... That's cool. I do love having two screens when I play video games, especially bigger Nintendo games, specifically Zelda and also Metroid. Uh, going back to Metroid, mm, like yes, playing Metroid. Metroid Dread. Yeah, like playing Metroid Dread earlier this year after playing uh metroid uh 2 samus returns on 3ds which was fantastic having the map on the bottom i really miss ha not having it on switch same thing on 3ds playing ocarina of time and majora's mask and link between worlds like always having that double screen having the map and all of my yeah. items available to switch on the fly is so much better really that is worth the price of the wii u version uh over the gamecube version just because going back into the menu and constantly because there's a lot of items in twilight princess and yes. go, and you can only equip what two at a time and you have to constantly be going into that menu and select your bow now you got to select the lantern now you got to go back and select the, the slingshot it just gets really cumbersome so having that on the gamepad at a moment's notice was was a lot better and that that was tough to go back to this week playing uh playing the GameCube version. But yeah, graphics aside, like I think I think Twilight Princess has aged extremely well. Not as good as Wind Waker, but it's still fine to go back and play for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. I never even really would have thought of that, you know, in terms of like the second gamepad or like using the gamepad because in my mind that thing doesn't even really exist other <laughs> than <laughs> like just docking and playing Smash Bros. Sure. Yeah, I, I got you. But no, it, it is useful. That's for sure. It's like having yes. a portable yeah. DS basically, but it's gone now. So uh, yeah. <laughs> It's in Wii U heaven. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, Tristan, what are your first memories of initially playing Twilight Princess? What, are, what were your kind of first thoughts about it? Oh, um, my first thought definitely picking it up was that this is something really different because I'd only played the DS games up until that point. So this oh, wow. is my first proper 3D Zelda. Oh, no, wait. I did play 3D Zelda like ages ago when I was with my cousins in Sydney somewhere. But um, I don't really remember it very well. But uh, anyway, it was my first proper 3D Zelda, right? So I'm picking okay. it up, and I have absolutely no idea how anything works. Because I, I, I'll, I'll bring this back. I definitely think this is a game that was made mainly for the people who played Ocarina of Time. Like, they grew up playing it. They were, like, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years old, and now they're 20. And they're like, I want to play a more mature game. This is the game for them. Yeah. Um, when I was playing it, yeah, I was just really set back because I'd never experienced the 3d game before so i had to learn a lot of new things but one of my <laughs> first memories of spending like three hours trying to figure out the fish thing with the cat oh, God. Uh, <laughs> and it's so embarrassing because i forgot the puzzle and then i pick it up on wii u and i do it instantly i do the, at the water dungeon i do it instantly it, everything's fine what is wrong with me but that's because i would played like five other zelda games in between but you, you see what yeah. I'm saying here? It's like mm -hmm. it, it had a lot of conventions that it established that I feel like if you hadn't played Zelda before, it's so hard to figure out what is going on. 
Um, that being said, I still absolutely love the opening. I, people can complain as much as they want, but uh, get over it. Yeah, I, hundred percent. Like, uh, it, it would be very difficult, I find, to go into this without kind of knowledge of that world, or even like you, because you probably hadn't played a lot of just three D adventure games before uh, either. No, I kind of grew up playing a lot of games when I was little. I remember, like, when I was five. This is kind of sad. I was like playing Doom three with my dad. Nice. <laughs> um, so like FPS games uh, and a lot of kind of like, yeah, like 3D over the shoulder experiences. Uh, Zelda fair, was just, uh, Nintendo games weren't really a thing. We like played a lot of PlayStation and Xbox. So it took Nintendo a while. It was too tame for you. You guys were way too, you were ahead <laughs> of the game blowing heads off of zombies in Doom 3. No, nah, see, I, I, I prefer like just chill games like Animal Crossing over oh, me Doom. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Animal Crossing meets Doom is what we really need. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> that is a great crossover. I love both games. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the Twilight Princess, you nailed it. Definitely made for people who grew up with Ocarina, who wanted Ocarina, who didn't get it with Wind Waker. Uh, and then you eventually get an idea of it with um, Twilight Princess. Uh, there's this There's this idea, though, out there that. Uh, I think for people who haven't played Twilight Princess or maybe have just seen stills and, and animations from it, that they think that Twilight Princess is like Ocarina 2. It's really not. No. Uh, and it's like, I don't know why it kind of, I guess it gets this rap because it, it does kind of look like the, the same similar style, but just upgraded. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I would say, and just in my notes here, it, it has echoes of Ocarina. Like it's, mm, it, when, yeah. when, when you talk about Legend of Zelda, it's a series that obviously has a really long pedigree. And I like how Miyamoto puts it. He's just like, well, it's a legend. So the story sort of carries on, the elements carry on, but you know, how, how stories go from word of mouth, there's always slight changes. And that's kind of what makes it Zelda amazing is that there's no consistency in timeline or gameplay or, or world design and that's what makes it so fun is every time you pick up the game you don't know what kind of hyrule you're going to pick up so uh mm-hmm. it's not really an ocarina of time too but it definitely feels a spiritual kind of successor but that's every zelda game so what are you talking about <laughs> exactly <laughs> and then nintendo did try and come out with that ridiculous timeline for zelda games and tried to connect them all which is i i love it and i will stand by it do not argue with me <laughs> okay uh, i have give my almanacs of zelda games with me right now i i, I will yeah neil's got it too oh, oh okay. I, yeah i have the, the the green one. Oh, it's yeah. a fantastic book and yeah that's got the that that was a huge deal back in like 2011 2012 when that came out it was like they finally were going to announce the timeline and twilight princess does technically happen right after it's actually after majora's mask in the child timeline so twilight princess is technically a sequel to majora's mask which is technically a sequel to ocarina of time so it is kind of a sequel if you think about it to ocarina of time but really it it just takes a lot of what ocarina of time did and just brings it onto the gamecube it doesn't really bring a ton of of new things sure there are new items and everything but it just kind of feels like it feels like Ocarina of Time 2 without being as big of a step forward as Ocarina of Time was, if that makes sense. Mm. Ocarina of Time being the first 3D Zelda game after having, what, four, three or four 2D Zelda games. Then we finally got Ocarina of Time on N64. And then we get this one where if you've been playing GameCube at this point for four or five years, like it didn't really do a ton of new stuff, even compared to Wind Waker. It, it was It felt very similar to that. I think really the experience for Twilight Princess was probably a lot different if you played the Wii version at first, because the first two hours of, of Twilight Princess was basically all teaching you how to play 
motion controls, teaching you how to fish, like Tristan said, yeah. which was super frustrating. It was teaching you how to use the nunchuck and Wiimote to <laughs> herd sheep, to swing your sword. And if you're playing it on GameCube, you're sitting there asking yourself, why am I spending three hours learning how to be Link? I've done this before. I don't need all of these tutorials and all these random puzzles. But if you're playing it on Wii, they needed that because yeah. no one had done that before at home. And and That's so it's just point. a completely different it's just a completely different experience unfortunately and the game did sell it way better on on Wii than GameCube I believe it was mm. 4 to 1 actually like four Wii copies for every one GameCube copy so oh at least yeah, yeah. so for those of us who are thinking like well, what what's going on with the GameCube copy like sure it's a great game it does have that random opening that everybody talks about being way too long the tutorial but it was that was for the Wii people that was not for us so you kind of have the to world look past building that. come on like <laughs> I'm sorry I, I'm scenes. a filmmaker integrity of story yeah um, yes. I really like it because I, I, I'll let you continue, but I have a certain no, no, no. comment on like it's Western influences, which is really interesting. Yes. No, I'm, I'm glad that we have you on. Cause I know that you work on film and this movie or this game, sorry, is very heavy on <laughs> well, it's the same thing, right? <laughs> very heavy on cutscenes, very heavy on story and lore and plot and everything. So please talk to us about how, how the story impacted you as a, as a filmmaker. Well, um, just talking about like, I, I, I love looking at, into influences. I love to see, you know, sort of the backing and uh, how a game was developed. Because obviously art is a collaborative process. We call it, you know, David Lynch, my favorite director, he calls it the art life. And um, mm -hmm. in, this, uh, in this Zelda game, I feel like it's really targeted towards like uh, sort of a, a more American audience because it's got a lot of Hollywood-esque kind of, um approach to its direction definitely a massive influence from western like western genre the westerns genre uh which is actually listed in one of the books um you know you've got characters that kind of dressed up like cowboys they've got a very sort of 1800s-esque kind of outfit yeah. design combined with um you know the traditional kind of medieval european influence which is so interesting but what i really like is that yeah it, it the the story backing is really intentional and it kind of plays on um the story of this stranger link who kind of comes into town you know as wolf link he's feared by people but ultimately he's their savior um and uh, he's kind of that silent kind of good bad and the ugly you know he's really stoic mm -hmm. kind of figure but um what i love about him being uncharacteristic is that uh yeah it's something straight out of um a western which is so interesting because this is zelda yes. which is like you know you imagine forests <laughs> and all this sort of stuff but you end up you, you know you rock into kakariko and it's like it could not be any more different there's like dust devils there's like uh what are those tumbleweeds and things like that uh so yeah from a film backing it, it excites me because like i see you know magnificent seven good bad and the ugly um in the influences there so when i'm playing it i'm like damn this is a this is a piece of art it's really beautiful yeah that's a great point too. Like like the whole the whole kind of starting off is the simple farmer kind of plot line as well and 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 like yeah, the clothing, the the setting, everything and it 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 feels like that western style very different than Wind Waker than um uh, even Ocarina, which like very Japanese influenced, right? Yeah, like obviously absolutely. this one is a Japanese game, but but it's it's definitely straddling more on that like cinematic like the 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 westerns from like the 50s and 60s, like that kind of style for sure because uh there's a lot less like wacky elements of characters. Like obviously there are still some and like the postman Malo. Like, he's kind of Malo all the way. <laughs> yeah. I love oh. that guy. The or the the baby uh who's like the, the like yeah. <laughs> they're such good characters but they have a lot more depth 
than any other Zelda game before this and after it, honestly. Yep. Um, that's like the biggest difference here. And Neil, you talked about how all these other Zelda games were really big on innovations. You know, Wind Waker, the cell shading, Ocarina being the first 3D Zelda, uh, Majora's Mask being so unique in how the story is portrayed with kind of doing it over and over again. But, um, and yeah, and Twilight Princess, that's definitely on the surface, feels like a game that really didn't innovate very much. It just kind of built on things that came beforehand. And I agree with that, but I'd say what it really does well, innovation-wise, is the story, is the characters, is like all the the pushing of like that world way more than any other Zelda game. And it's like the subtle innovation almost. The atmosphere in this game is just incredible. Like, yeah. I, uh, especially the Twilight Realm, like if you don't say that you are not affected by the soundtrack in that, I, I would challenge you to listen to it in a dark room because (laughs) you will feel dread. Absolutely. It's so hard to like even describe the music to someone who's never heard it before because it's like this dreamy kind of fantasy mixed with techno kind of sound. I have no idea what it is. It's very unnerving for sure. And yeah, and there's like those black pixels that are coming up from the ground into the sky. It almost feels like the world itself is falling apart. It's a really weird feeling. And the music, the music in this game is very standout. Twilight Princess has a lot of standout things. The story being one of them, the cutscenes definitely being another that this game felt a lot more like a movie than the other games did. Absolutely. Uh, I, Mm. I, I'm a huge fan of the world. Like the open world is really good. I think that did improve over the N64 games, no doubt. Like, obviously it could because the GameCube is way more powerful so they could make a better world. But I love, I love a lot of things that are in it. I know that a lot of people do argue that Zelda games are somewhat empty with their open worlds, but that's, that's for, that's for another debate. But like the, the, the main town, like the little square, the village square, I think is really cool. It's huge there's a lot of characters really lively very lively mm. it's 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 all these brick and very detailed and everything feels like a set piece every every store that you go into has like little little tchotchkes that you can look into and like zoom in on and see like oh what, what's this a reference to this is like a reference to another zelda game or another nintendo game or something and even hyrule castle it's definitely the best hyrule castle i think of any zelda game it's huge. Really it's good. dark. It's it's oh, dude. It's so good. I think I think the one in <laughs> Breath of the Wild is really good too. But this one is uh, ties between one and two for me. Absolutely. Um, but it is true mm. that like they were trying to make this game more of a cinematic experience. I know that the original Zelda on NES was heavily inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings novels. Obviously, yes. E.G. Uh, uh, Anuma has said on record that this game was heavily inspired by the Lord of the Rings movies that were big at the time. So mm. it's just cool to see Zelda continue to be uh, inspired by uh, by Lord of the Rings. I, I think that that's that's cool that they can they can take stuff like that. Now I think that they're more inspired by some of the Western RPGs like The Witcher and Skyrim. But uh, yeah, uh, Twilight Princess, great game in terms of uh, being a cinematic experience for sure. It definitely is. And those are all great things we've been talking about. But mm. obviously this game often gets kind of put by the wayside. People don't talk about Twilight Princess as much as I would like them to because I love this game. <laughs> uh, but there are cons. There are things that I definitely don't like about this game either. So Tristan, what are some cons you would have about this game that you'd like to see improved? That's that's really hard uh, because I don't really have a lot of problems with most Zelda games. I'm a pretty patient person when it comes to games. Like, I will play it 100%. I will take as long as I want. My friends hate me for it, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm currently playing the new Pokemon game, and I haven't touched any of the story. And I have caught over nearly 200 Pokemon uh, in my Pokédex. That's how I play, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I don't I don't freaking care about, you know, like, um, 
any other Pokemon or anything uh, no. story. But anyway, uh, that's a tangent. But what I'm saying is, essentially, I, I, I enjoy doing the tedious things because if the world's interesting enough, then I'll do it. But mm -hmm. um, Twilight Princess, the heart pieces. Come on. Like, they are literally hidden in just the most ridiculous places, and you have oh, yeah. to come back to certain areas. So much backtracking if you actually care, um, especially yeah. for the difficulty that kind of comes towards the end. It's a bit frustrating. Um, I and, and and I guess with the foresight of Breath of the Wild, with its how it integrates, you know, the shrine system and everything, I feel like that's just so much better. But um, yeah, th there should have been a way to at least track these heart pieces. They're just buried everywhere. It was frustrating for me. Still is. And I think there's 90 yeah. of them in the entire game. Like there's a lot if you want to complete oh, it. Yeah, I don't. I'm gonna <laughs> Google that. Like how many? <laughs> There's a lot. It's I. I've never. I don't think I ever got all ninety. But yeah, it's. I did on Wii U. <laughs> forty five. So. Oh, forty five. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. because it's five heart pieces for each entire heart, oh, which yeah. is usual. The usual four. So I'm like, why did you add another one? It was painful enough. You know, the first <laughs> four. Ugh. Anyway, it's a uh, frustrating. Yeah. It, that heart piece is definitely and I, but I think that just kind of like puts onto a whole other con of this game which is the massive amount of backtracking in it like way more than any other Zelda game at this point um, and it's too bad because uh, and you kind of briefly mentioned it there Tristan but the fact that you're so caught up in everyone's stories so you actually care and you want to go backtrack because you're like oh well I really want to give uh, whatever her name's a memory back, you know, like that becomes a massive quest just trying to get her memory back. Uh, Lydia or I Ilya? Ilya. Ilya. Ilya, that's her name. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, like that quest takes days to do. My God, it's so tedious and the payoff is quite small too. So I was kind of sad when I did it again uh, playing it. But yeah, like, like stuff like that. There's just so much backtracking in this in this game that really kind of bogs me down. But if you're a patient person like Tristan, then then game developers love you. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if I play it the way they want me to, but uh, that's, uh, yeah, I just have my own way. It is yeah. too bad that the majority of the side quests or side missions are taken up mostly by fetching or looking for heart pieces, looking for those bugs, like collecting the the shiny bugs oh, or whatever. Yeah. That's what? a lot no, of the it. bugs are fun. It <laughs> is, but that's like there's so many of them. Is my problem? Like I think I think more variety in the side quests would have been better. Oh. Like you've got you've got heart pieces, bugs, and fishing, and that that's the bulk of the side quests in this game. There are a few others in there. And then there's the main quest, of course, which is, I'm a main quest Zelda guy for the most part. If I find a side quest that interests me, I'll do it. Breath of the Wild, I think I did all of them. Um, but but any other mainline Zelda game, I think I mainly stick with the uh, the mainline story. But yeah, there's just there's just so many, there's just so much. Like I don't think you need to collect that many bugs and heart pieces and everything. Like give me something else to do, maybe to to find those to get those same to get the same item. Let me do something different to get them. I think is is where I'm going with that. Um, I prefer more missions where the, they have that monkey smacking his ass at the camera. I missed him. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Can I have a spin-off? Uh, <laughs> so was, obviously we, we talked about characters part. like the monkey, and he's great, but uh, uh, are there any other characters that really stuck out to you when you first played this game? Oh, um... I'm going to say, who's the gold man? Giovanni? Uh, the rich, greedy man who turns to gold. I don't know. Um, I, I think he's really funny. His yeah. character design is incredibly off-putting. I think yeah. I have a distinct memory of like my parents, like when I was playing it originally, like walking into the room and being like, 
what is going on here because yeah, if, you, if you if you yeah pretty much like if you look at him he is disturbing um <laughs> but uh yeah no I, I uh i i just found like obviously his side quests i actually hate like the poe collecting for me in any zelda game i think that's the only thing i pretty much avoid because i just do not care um i don't know why it's just because they're all the same at least for the bugs it's like oh there's like one different polygon on the model <laughs> um i don't <laughs> cool but yeah giovanni no like his his room design and his personality like i don't know i thought it was really fun really funny um i guess that's sort of the quirky element that came out of twilight princess in a very dark and brooding world i almost find it just as disturbing as majora's mask to some element as well so yeah. for sure for sure some of the characters in this game are we- most zelda games have some pretty weird looking npcs like going back to the n64 games again like any of the great fairies look absolutely terrifying like i don't know <laughs> what it is about zelda games tingle exists tingle so, yeah like I mean... there's so many like i don't know <laughs> where some of these character yeah. designs come from but how about how about boss fights i, I i'm a big fan of boss fights oh, in, in zelda games yes. are there any what, what what for you is the best and the worst boss fight in this game mm, good question oh best and the worst boss fight um i don't know any of the bosses of like names i got but, it here if you describe uh, them you the... can uh, you can tell me yeah. yeah 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 give me a moment um it's the boyo that does the like in the sand i actually did like that one i know some yes. people hate it St- star lord that's the uh that's the one where you you fight on your little beyblade splinter spinner right yeah 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 that was sick <laughs> that's an awesome um, boss just, fight. you know great great stage design uh all of that uh the boss i you know hate like with a passion i think it's a mini boss it's that that little that big goron boyo he uh he nasty. Like I, I do not like him. <laughs> the big guy that falls called? over and gets knocked over and gets knocked out just by falling. Yes, he yeah. sucks. <laughs> he is a big um, boss. That's Virus. He's he is quite disappointing. I'll give you that. Yeah, like okay. So when I originally played it, you know, I took forever. I kept dying, and now that I've you know got a bit more experience with games, I pick it up and I pretty much instantly kill him. But again, well, either way, he was frustrating, and now he's just disappointing because it's like, oh, wait, you actually like you took like two hits and. <laughs> Okay, it's, bye. It's funny yeah. what, like, in certain games, like, what bosses or what things get you stuck, like, forever. Mm-hmm. And I was as a, a kid, child. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, as a kid, I just I just would give up. <laughs> like, I would, no. I would be like, okay, this was too hard. And then, because uh, oftentimes I rented these games from Blockbuster or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, that's it for that game. <laughs> let's, let's uh, I feel like I fit the definition of insanity from um, Far Cry 3. Like, yeah. uh, doing the same thing over and over, expecting this, like, different result. That's different result. video games. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did that with Wolfenstein last week. I played the same level, like, uh, I don't even want to say how many times. But I did finish it. That's <laughs> So that's what matters. Got it eventually. Uh, that's what matters. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah, there are certain, certainly areas in this game when I was a kid were much harder in my mind than now. But it's also, like, the opposite. There was parts that i don't really remember at all getting stuck on as an adult so it's um i find i find that for all zelda games like majora's mask is my perfect example somehow i beat that game as a kid i have no idea how i beat that game my god i mean good for you so hard yeah i I only just finished it this year (laughs) wow yeah nintendo power definitely helped or, or some kind of guide uh, I, remember, <laughs> yeah, I remember going to the library with my dad and reading the guides and yeah, i think yeah, yeah. I, th- I used to write down like little tips and stuff they would have but anyways that's a that's a tangent for me <laughs> um the last thing i really want to talk with you about is one of my favorite parts if not my favorite part about this game and hopefully yours as well is minda 
What are your thoughts about Midna? Uh, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Uh, I love Midna. I love the personality she brings. She's the best companion, in my opinion. She's got some annoying yep. moments. Like, I do I do want her to shut up at some points, but that's, <laughs> sure. that's every companion in Zelda for me. Yeah. Uh, but, um, no, I, I, I like that uh, she had a more personal grounding to the story, sort of that love triangle that comes out closer towards the end of the game if that's okay to say the spoiler yeah no this um, is this is this uh, is a spoiler episode it's a 20 year old oh, game it's fine. Yeah. um <laughs> you yeah had, like you had literally if you haven't minus. played it uh, sad um no uh yeah just uh being able to make uh, the companion character more personal and actually exceeding what you know what we call a companion character mm-hmm. um we had a bit of that in uh, the title and tale kind of story and majora's mask but i feel even more so for midna you know she's this uh, she's a really broken character. She's lost so much. Uh, you know, her, her her whole kingdom has been stolen from her. And I think what I really like about it is that there's so much mystery to her and who she is that um, as we evolve with her, we actually do kind of build this connection and almost love uh, for that, which which makes the ending all the more kind of melancholy. Um, so yeah, I re- I really like her from a story perspective, I guess coming from gameplay, I, I do find her annoying, but, um, her personality, you know, animation character design makes up for that, uh, in leagues and bounds. Yeah, honestly, couldn't have said it better myself. You, Neil? No, yeah, I was going to say just like the relationship that you build with her throughout the game is really cool. I I think I definitely agree with the two of you. She's definitely the best companion of any Zelda game. I like that she actually is useful in combat, unlike most other companions. I can't think of one like Tattle and Tail in Majora's Mask are for the most part useless. Navi is definitely useless. Uh, the I don't even remember Skyward Sword. Technically, it's a sword, isn't it? The the five companion. feet. Five feet. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But at least the, at least with Minna, like she actually helps you when you're in the twilight. I was gonna say the twilight zone. Uh, when you're in the twilight region, uh, she like uses her giant hand to basically uh, round up all of the enemies, and then you can attack them all. And she helps you platform and uh, explore the world, which is cool. So yeah, they they used her in really interesting ways, and uh, it was cool to see her. In, integrated into the story and into the the ending obviously like you said tristan all around from start to finish a really good character i like the dialogue between her and link how she talks to him like he's like a pet dog the entire time i think it's really yeah. funny like she never shows yeah, she link like a ton him. of respect yeah. it's always kind of treating him like she's bringing him along on her adventure it's it's really <laughs> funny and uh i would love yeah. to see her come back into future zelda games in some way but uh, the way that this game ends, I don't see how they would do that. But uh, Nintendo are very good at uh, warping plots and everything. So if if they want to bring her back, I'm sure I'm sure that they will, and I hope they do. I hope so too. Yeah, she's my favorite. But uh, Tristan, it's been amazing having you on once again to talk about some Twilight Princess. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this beautiful game before we let you go? Yeah, look, uh, I, I guess for me it was a bit of a stopgap in terms of like 3D Zelda games. So you know, me as a kid, sort of picking up. Uh, more mature Zelda game from playing, you know, the more kid-oriented ones on like DS and 3DS. Um, so I don't know. It's it's quite personal to me because it kind of ties in the theme of growth for me as a kid, growing into playing some more, yeah, more full-on Zelda games. So yeah, and and, and like the rest of the Zelda series, that theme kind of continues to impact me because you know you start from this small kind of small town Link and uh, become big big boy chunk. <laughs> Uh, by the end of it at least in my playthroughs because again I do it 100% before I finish 
Um, but yeah, no, uh, Twilight Princess, I hold dear to my heart. Um, I can pretty much say that I love every Zelda game, but Twilight Princess is up there. Um, I, we're not going to talk about Triforce Heroes. Uh, Never heard of yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't exist. Uh, every other Zelda game, beautiful art, love it. Yeah, Sold. that's all I can say. It's great. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And you bought, you bought all three copies, so we know that we can trust you. That's the stamp of trust and approval. Yeah. <laughs> I have... Uh... And you got two amiibos too. You just you're just you're just gushing <laughs> out Twilight Princess from in your game collection. It's just, it's just, just Zelda games. It's your entire shelf good. is just Twilight um, Princess copies. <laughs> There's no other game. I'm playing two different. I'm playing. I have three saves of Zelda on uh, Breath of the Wild at the moment on my Switch, Wii U, and on my PC. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Hopefully Nintendo's not listening to this. So, <laughs> uh yeah i hope not because you know i would love a job with them but i mean the pc version's kind of better not gonna lie yeah. oh, shots uh, fired 60 <laughs> frames come on yeah I know. Um, yeah yeah no. you could do it on gamecube nintendo so i, I bought yeah. both copies so you can fight me later <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly that's how i feel about that stuff too but uh tristan it's been amazing having you on and we'd like to give you this uh opportunity to plug uh, yourself and anything else you're working on well, that ties in perfectly into what we were talking about today because I, today, am recording a Breath of the Wild uh, retrospective focusing on what I think the game does really well. I'm not going to gush about it being a masterpiece because uh, we've heard IGN talk about that enough. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, come and look me up on Tristan Pantarotto. My name's, last name's pretty long, so I'm going to spell it really quickly. P-A-N-T-A-R-O-T-T-O. That's Italian name. Uh, search me up on Instagram, YouTube, Vimeo, LinkedIn. I've got it. Uh, that's kind of the film life. You're just online all the time. It's great. Uh, but yeah, definitely search me up because uh, I have some fun content coming up. Sweet. Awesome. And easy to remember, TP, just like this episode. Just TP? like uh, Twin yep. Peaks as well. So, uh, in Twin Peaks. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you so much, Tristan, for taking the time to join us today, and we hope to have you on uh, on our show again real soon. Even though we're almost done the GameCube, we we will be back in 2023. So uh, we will definitely keep oh. in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of making me sad because I I remember telling you I like sent like a fan mail, and I was like, you know, the first day I like decided to buy a GameCube was that like around the same week that your first episode came out. Yeah. So like I've been on that journey with you guys like. From the beginning, it's like, it was meant to be. It's kind of sad to finish oh, up. <laughs> it's okay. We'll live on in different ways, but uh, yeah, game, we will. We can't not stop talking about the GameCube. Like we're always no. going to talk about it. <clears> no, way. absolutely not. <laughs> it has influenced us so much, and uh, it influenced us so much to talk about this uh, the console for like hundreds and hundreds of hours now yep. and it'll keep going in some way but uh yep. tristan again uh lovely having you on we can't see or can't wait to see uh what else you're going to be working on in the future and uh, yeah i'll talk to you soon yeah thank you so much take care buddy see you later bye what a nice young man what a nice young man thank you very much tristan as always for coming on today talking about some twilight princess tp of course uh and yeah, I, I was really happy to get his kind of input from a cinematic style because this game, yeah, is definitely a very film heavy kind of style uh, gameplay as well. Like, the you know, if you, you can look up Twilight Princess movie, mm -hmm. 
which is so long because there's so many cutscenes yep. uh, in this and and the characterization as well. I wanted his input on and it was great having him on to talk about that, talk about the fact that he owns all three copies. Mm-hmm. So good for him on that one. That's something. Uh, do you own the Wii one or do you just own Wii U and GameCube? I don't own the Wii one. I should really pull mm. the trigger and pick that one up. I'm just not a big Wii collector is my problem. I, I can picture Tristan doing a stream one day where he's playing all three at once. I think that would be that would be an <laughs> that interesting. Would be that'd be fun to watch, actually. That's not a bad idea, actually, now that you, yeah. now you say it. But yeah, no, a totally cool cool cinematic game that I'm glad that we had a filmmaker come on to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You could watch that, uh, that Twilight Princess film. You probably, like me, wouldn't know what the hell is going on because you watch some of these cutscenes and you think, that is beautiful. That is amazing. That is artistic. I don't know what just happened. And that's really how <laughs> yeah, I feel. Fair. Yeah, that's really how you feel after uh, after a lot of these cutscenes. But no, great to have Tristan on for, what is that, the third time now he's uh, he's joined the mm-hmm. show, which really cool. Mm-hmm. Takes the time to come in from uh, from Australia. Uh, I really like to, he, he, he mentioned the game Wolfenstein there, but he said it really cool. He said it like Wolfenstein, I think. He, he said it quickly, but Wolf- I'm pretty sure. Wolfenstein. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure he said it like the way it's supposed to be said, not Wolfenstein, which is how most people <laughs> yeah. say it here. In Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein game on 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 3ds please but uh yeah no but (laughs) at best maybe there's a ds version but uh no definitely not on 3ds but uh probably just on pc and all the main consoles but enough about wolfenstein mike we need to talk more about Mm. twilight princess and uh, all of its glory so uh i think i hear our phones ringing though so uh who's our next caller of the day all right, Neil, joining us today is friend of the show, Kira, at Toonie Twirls. We're really excited to have her on once again. She was last on for the Metal Gear Solid episode, and of course, she lent her voice to the Four Swords episode, so we're delayed to have her back on to talk about yet another Zelda game on the GameCube. But before we do, we have a question to ask you, and that question is, uh, who is your favorite side character in Zelda Twilight Princess? Uh, I've always been really fond of, I'm not sure if it's pronounced Aishi or Ashi, but it's like um, yeah. the night woman who you team up with um, during the Snow Peak section. I just think she's really cool. <laughs> she's pretty badass. I would say, yeah. I, th- I I say Ashi. Neil, what do you say? I think I say Ashi as well. I don't say a lot of these names out loud. <laughs> like, exactly. Just, yeah. <laughs> with like the lack of voice acting in Zelda, it, doesn't, it never really occurs to you until you're talking about it out loud, like how to pronounce some of these names. Exactly. Yeah, it's like reading a book too, right? It's like the same way mm-hmm. where you're like you're convinced that's this like a certain way to pronounce a character's name, and then your friend is like, "Oh, what about this person?" And you're like, "Wait, that's that's how you pronounce it." Weird. <laughs> well, it gets like yeah. adapted to something, and it's like a totally different way how you said it, and it's like, "Oh, it's, yeah, it's weird." It's, uh, no, no, no. I like my I like my way better. But okay, yeah, <laughs> Ashley is a great pick. Uh, I I love the, the 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 like that whole section. That's a great great part of the game for sure. And I guess to kind of go into it. Uh, for you, Kira, I know you're obviously a big Zelda fan. You love Wind Waker. That's why we didn't ask you uh, what your favorite 3D Zelda game is, because <laughs> we know it's going to be Wind Waker. But for you, Twilight Princess, when did you first play it? Um, I was still very young, I think. So I got it, like, uh, I got it with my Wii, I think. So mm. I played it for the first time. And, like, I really liked it, but I was, again, I was young, so, like, I, I liked everything, really. <laughs> but it was, it was interesting because... Um, you know, I, I sort of grew up with the game, but as a teenager, I kind of went through like this embarrassing sort of, um, I suppose, phase where it was like every game, every Zelda game that isn't Wind Waker is bad. So, <laughs> uh, so Twilight Princess being like the polar opposite of Wind Waker in a sense got the most of that. Mm-hmm. But then when I actually like sat down and played it again, like recently, I was like, oh wait, it's actually it's actually like a phenomenal game. Yeah. <laughs> you said you bought it for your Wii. Did you buy the GameCube version then, or the Wii version? Um, I well, I have the GameCube version now, which um, it cost me a lot 
Yep. But I, 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 I wanted to have it because it's Zelda, it's on the GameCube, so it's my two favorite things. So it, it seemed like a no-brainer, despite the price. <laughs> I mean, it is also, you know, considered the best way. Well, I mean, I guess the Wii U one could be considered the best way to play it, but definitely considered the better way to play it rather than the Wii version. Yeah, it's like, it's just with the um, the motion controls, you can tell yes. that they were an afterthought rather than like actually being like made with the game because, you know, you can say what you want about Skyward Sword, but like at least like that game was designed like around motion controls, yes. you know what I yeah. mean? So it's with Twilight Princess, it, it just feels a bit wrong, you know? I, and you're absolutely right with saying that because Twilight Princess was designed for the GameCube first mm-hmm. and it certainly was a... Uh, I wouldn't say last minute move, but but a, a late addition to decide to release it on both GameCube and Wii. Uh, the major factor, of course, we talked already in this episode about how the GameCube, surprise, surprise, was not doing well in 2006. <laughs> so, and with the Wii around the corner, it just made sense to try and push this out for uh, launch date for the Wii. And that's kind of why we got the three hour tutorial, you know, introducing people to the motion controls and what that world was, because of course, no one had ever had motion in games before so it was a whole new thing yeah it was exciting back you know back back then but it's just in hindsight but i mean as, as a kid it was like the most exciting thing ever like oh i can swing my sword and like swings it too this is great <laughs> yeah and the major differences between the wii and the gamecube version a lot of people already know this but the wii version the game is completely a mirror image of the gamecube version since mm-hmm. most people are not lefties which link is in the gamecube version so the gamecube version is basically like the purest way to play actually the wii version is more like the uh the casual way to play because if you're going to be playing with motion <laughs> yeah. you need it needs to line up with the way the majority of the population play the game i suppose but yeah we talked a little bit about this with uh with tristan already but you can definitely tell when you're playing the gamecube version how it would be more fun on wii like i was just playing a little bit of it today and like anytime you're like on epona and like the part when you get the horse and you need to like kind of wrangle her in and you're, you're basically just moving the joystick from left to right randomly and then <laughs> press a you can tell that was more meant to be like a motion thing but on gamecube it's like you're kind of like okay okay, why am I doing this exactly? Yeah. It's really it's really weird like playing the GameCube version with those Wii bits in there. But uh, going back to the development of this game, and you're, you guys are right, it was delayed a little bit to incorporate the, um, the Wii motion in there. It was also delayed at first because a lot of people don't know this. This game was actually originally titled Wind Waker 2. Did you guys know that? Yes, I heard about that, but um, yeah. they wanted to have two Link on a horse, but his legs were too small to be able to make it look right, so <laughs> they can't that, which is just such a cute image. <laughs> Link, yeah, two Link on a Pona, that would be an amazing visual, but yeah. Two Link on Ganondorf's horse, that's, that's an even better shot. <laughs> you need like a little ladder to climb up to it. <laughs> that would be absolutely incredible, but yeah, no, because of the because of the poor sales, unfortunately, and reception towards Toon Link, uh, they had to switch development from Wind Waker 2 into the more edgy adult Twilight Princess that we eventually ended up with. And the Wind Waker uh, sequel was eventually turned into, um, that was Spirit Tracks, I think, right? On DS, that's the uh, official? Phantom Hourglass first, then Sorry, Spirit Tracks. Sorry, that's right. Phantom Hourglass, right. then Spirit <laughs> Tracks. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the uh, actual Wind Waker uh, sequels. So I would love to know what that Wind Waker 2 would have looked like on GameCube. That would have been awesome. Oh, I would I would do any I would, I would do anything <laughs> to see that. <laughs> I would do it. I mean, I love I love Final Glass, but uh, a sequel on the GameCube would just mm. be very special. Yeah, I, I think it would be very special for sure. But I, I I honestly think it was probably for the best they didn't do a sequel. Yeah, like I'm I I I really enjoy Zelda's kind of they they do a great job of reinventing the franchise every time they have a go at it uh for better or for worse definitely um and i think that's something that zelda really holds dear for me it'll be that's what makes it really interesting for tears of the kingdom when that comes out next year which is 
really uh, one of the only super direct, obvious sequels in, in yeah. the Zelda uh, lore, I guess. So that'll be super interesting to see how that plays and how that turns out. But I want to ask you, Kira, what's your favorite uh, villain in this, um, uh, or boss fight, I should say? Well, this is, kind of goes into my next question. But what's what's your favorite boss fight in, uh, in Twilight Princess? Maybe a basic choice, but um, the final fight with Gandalf is one of my favorite boss fights just in general. I just think it's so well done. That's kind of where I was going. That's why I accidentally said villain. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you knew what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I, just because I think it's, it is uh, super interesting how it's, you know, Zant is the, the big bad in this game, of mm, course. Yeah. It's, it's good that you've brought him up. I mean, I, I mean, I think this game is phenomenal, of course, as I said, but Zant would probably be one of my least favorite things about the game because like, I just, I just don't think he's a super interesting villain. It's like, I was also quite glad when Gandalf kind of showed up and yeah. like took over as the main villain. I don't know. I just never liked Zant that much. I felt the same way about Zant, yeah. honestly. Like, I feel like it kind of has a similar thing for me, like almost like a Freddy Krueger thing where I feel like the less we saw of him or it or whatever, the better. Like when you first, mm. when you first find out about him and how he sealed the Hyrule into the Twilight Realm, like that was really cool. Yeah. And how like he showed up in Hyrule Castle and like killed Zelda's army in front of her. And that was a really dark scene. And then the more that you kind of learn about him and everything, like the more scenes he's in he becomes kind of a goofy character almost to the to the point where like the final boss fight like he's kind of flailing around and screeching it's like he's kind of goofy almost like freddy krueger was at the end of nightmare on elm street like i just felt like it had a similar a similar parallel and then they definitely saved the game i think like if ganon didn't show up at the end that would have been a really it was a neat boss fight at the end like kind of combining all the elements of the game together into into zan's fight but to have the the possessed Zelda that you fight against and then fighting against, you know, giant pig Ganon. Like, it was a really cool way to end it. But yeah, I agree with you. I think Zant was the least interesting character for me in this game. He's just, the, the characterization is very off. Like you said, he starts off so intimidating, mm-hmm. but then he just becomes really goofy. Right. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel consistent. Like, all like, there was like a natural progression. Yeah, 100%. I didn't think of this before, but when I was playing this game again, I was like, oh, this is kind of like what happened with Star Wars, with Snoke. Uh, yeah. They, like, how yeah, they like, like <laughs> yeah, uh, they're like, well, we have this character, but you know who the real villain is going to be eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have like, like an exact plan. I'm sure that they had way more of a plan with Xant than uh, sure, Lucasfilm yeah. did with, uh, <laughs> yeah. with Snoke. But it is a similar idea here. We're like, yeah, okay, we're just going to bring back the old boss that you loved from uh, from Ocarina of Time. Which, yeah. I mean, it worked. It worked uh, really well. But uh, were there any bosses uh, throughout the game that weren't like the final boss fights that you uh, that really stood out to you in terms of like maybe some of the best Zelda bosses uh, of all time? Um, I liked. Um, I think it's called Star Lord in the Arbiter's Grounds. The big, the big skeleton guy, and you have to use the spinner to like go at his like his spine in the middle. It's yeah. it's it's really unique. If you know what I'm talking about. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's like the the Beyblade level in the uh, in the sand pit where you're using the um the spinner to go around the sides and everything. Yeah, that's a better way of explaining it. <laughs> like, it's very weird. So I was, I was trying to like phrase it properly for people who like maybe haven't got to that part yet. And, and and that's a good point right there. Got to that part. This is a long game. This is a very long game. I'm just saying this off the top of my head, but I feel like this is the longest Zelda game. It's certainly, I mean, Breath of the Wild, I guess, can be if you're not doing the, the missions yeah. like me and you spend think, 200 hours. Mm, I think Skyward Sword story-wise might be a bit longer, mm. but yeah, 12 is definitely up there. I could be wrong. It's, yes. it, and it's it's long for this generation of, of, uh, of the console too, right? Like you... Obviously, have a lot of these RPGs that were huge, like Baton Kaitos and Fire Emblem, in terms of story, where they went on for the like 40, 50, 60 hours. Uh, but uh, we really hadn't got this from Nintendo, from like a big franchise like Zelda before. So, this was a pretty new thing. And just like, obviously, it takes a long time to get into it as well. Like that tutorial, playing it 
uh, nowadays, because you said you played it recently, Kira, uh, did you find it kind of sluggish? Did you want to kind of just get into the battle again? Well, funnily enough, I, I don't think it was as bad as I remember it being. I remember I used to rag in it a lot for that reason. Right. It, it is still pretty slow and unnecessary at parts. It could have definitely been slimmed down, but I mean, it wasn't like as bad as I remember it being. Yeah, the intro is not as bad once you know, like if you're playing the game for the first time, it's probably bad. But once you're playing it for like the third time or fourth time or whatever, like you know what you're doing, you know what the puzzles are, so you can kind of get through it way faster. Like I think it might be 45 minutes to an hour to get to that first dungeon. When you know what you're doing, maybe you can yeah. skip over some of the cutscenes. For me, the part that extended the game unnecessarily that was a little bit annoying unfortunately is the wolf parts in the game like when you're going around collecting the teardrops uh there are some parts where i think that can sometimes take over an hour to do and it's like okay i don't necessarily want to be doing this for this long and i think that that Mm -hmm. stretched out the time a lot um i think you're right though i think uh skyward sword is the longer one this one is probably the second longest though in terms of mainline zelda games not counting like breath of the wild which like mike said is as long or as short as you want it to be but this one was stretched out by a lot of wolf scenes that i felt like were a little bit boring for me unfortunately and that was meant to be like the big selling part of the game was you transform form into this wolf and it's really cool and it is but it's like just collecting the teardrops for me was super annoying kind of the same way people talk about the sailing being annoying in uh, in wind waker it's um i think it's much better later on when you can swap between link and the yes. wolf like i think yeah. at least some really interesting puzzles but i mean i'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who like 100 of the game so which involved a lot of tedious stuff that most people would just leave out mm-hmm. so th- i think stuff like the wolf section didn't seem as bad a comparison to trying to like catch the best fish, <laughs> the fish. That's oh so my nonsense. god yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started <laughs> i mean it, it is it, it was a really fun game to 100 don't get me wrong um it's just you know there's, there's like a couple of things that are gonna annoy you but it's part of the process i enjoyed it overall that's that's the thing with these zelda games honestly like it's it, it, they're so well done it's that it's it's so easy to kind of like nitpick because they're like well there's not like glaring obvious flaws for a lot of these mm. and i think twilight princess gets a bad rap sometimes because people either remember the remember playing it on the wii or remember playing just the wolf parts that were that you kind of had to do because you're right here like later on in the game you can just switch with a, a a click of a button where in the beginning you're forced to be stuck as the as wolf link and kind of just run around and do these quests that 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 kind of bogged it down for me when I started playing it again, uh, like this like last week, and I was like, okay, this is you know not as fun as I remember the wolf parts. Like they were fine, but for me, what I actually enjoyed a lot more this time playing through was just honestly the characters and like getting to mm-hmm. know the world and realizing how in depth everything was with this and like the writing of this game was fantastic and i really honestly cared about like all the characters i felt like obliged to do all their quests all the time yeah that's the best feeling in a zelda game and why i love them so much like generally speaking i do get that feeling where i care so much about this world exploring all the all the characters live in it too and it's trying to help them all and they're, they all look very different too. Like uh, past Zelda games, like the power of the system, power of the console that it's on. I think it was you know weighed down. They couldn't make as many diverse NPCs and everything. With this game, all the characters look very different. Like when you go to certain towns mm-hmm. in the N sixty four games, they all look very similar. Just maybe different outfits or different emblems on their shirts or whatever but other than that they're all very similar this one has you know it has babies it has kids who are they look like they all look like they're their age like they look like they're nine and 12 and then some people look like they're ancient and some you know you can there's just way more diverse character uh designs in this game and i love them like they're they're actually goofy and funny like i love the guy that you come across that makes
makes the bombs in uh, Kakariko Village. I like that guy a lot. He's he's funny. He's always got like safety armor on because I guess he's he tests his bombs. I don't know what you're supposed to assume he's doing in that town, but uh, he's a really he's a really funny character. I, I liked him, but yeah, like the, the the characters are all really cool to uh to interact with. The world just feels a lot like just bigger as well. Like I remember um just being stepping out on the Hyrule Field and just feeling so like almost overwhelmed. Yeah. By like everything, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to go next. It was a really great feeling. And speaking of characters, to to go back on your point, Neil, we talked about this already, but we're going to keep talking about it because it's probably the thing that makes Twilight Princess what it is, and that's Minna. And Minna's characterization in this game is really, really fantastic. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about just kind of her storyline and everything. And and Kira, what were your kind of first thoughts when you got uh, got to experience Minna? I thought she was really cool. I I, I nearly said her as my favorite character, mm-hmm. but. Nelly. but um as far as um companions go she's she's really interesting and it's nice to see like how she changes over time i guess yeah. like at first just sort of using link to like get what she wants but then like you see them bond over the course of the game and it's really nice as a zelda partner do you like her better than the red boat from wind waker i was i was, I was just thinking about mm-hmm. that i'm not sure um i think <laughs> that they're both they're both really good like i, I think it's I, I as far as zelda companions go I'd say I actually like a lot of them more than most, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's difficult, but she she's up there as one of my favorites. I think Definitely. like she's the most the one that has the most characterization for sure. Like she basically is another full character in this game. Like uh, where obviously like the dragon boat and like the the Navi and what's the the ones from Majora's Mask, Neil? It's Tattle and Tail. I, yeah. I forget which one comes with you. I now. don't like yeah. Ones from yeah, they're <laughs> they're like what I, like like this was the first time, at least for me, playing a Zelda game where I was like, whoa, like Minda's like sassy and she's like giving me crap, but it almost <laughs> felt like that, like her writing was was very much uh, very advanced, I guess, for the time. So I was always really impressed with that, and even playing this week. Like when Zelda sacrifices herself for for Minna, like that's when everything changes, and that's that's great writing right there. Like the fact that yeah. she changes to a completely different character, which she's way more pragmatic. Uh, she she kind of just wants to do what's right now instead of just being snarky all the time. She still has that, <laughs> you know, in her obviously as a character. But it was uh, that was really cool. I was really really impressed with that. Yeah, and the way that they wove her into the story too, which we talked a lot about with Tristan, like how she is much more of like a, she's basically like the third biggest character in the game, which Navi and and the Red Boat's up there in in Wind Waker, I agree, like he is pretty cool, but they brought her in way more than any other uh, character before, they also used her a lot with, like we said, with the combat and the platforming, which I think... The, uh, using her for the platforming probably had a lot to do with the Wii motion controls. Like going back to that again, like I really felt mm-hmm. like when you are using her, you know, you Z target onto her and then you kind of jump up on ledges and everything like that really did feel like a way to get around people not being able to platform with the Wii mote and nunchuck. Um, like on the GameCube, it, that did feel out of place, those moments platforming with her. But I'm sure on Wii, it made a lot more sense. Uh, but I still have not played. I have not played that version. So I would like to pick that version up now, actually, just to see what the difference is, how different of an experience it is. But honestly, I'll probably get lost with that mirror mode, unfortunately. But <laughs> Yeah, that that was a big thing for me, going from like the Wii version. And to th- I, I played the Wii U version before GameCube. But yeah, just going to a different version, it is difficult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, for sure. The Wii, the Wii U version was like, like, uh, like for graphics wise, was that a huge difference going from Wii U like down to GameCube? Did you find? I didn't know as much. I mean, obviously, like I, I can tell the difference and sure. what, what that, but <laughs> it's it's not it's not huge. It's not like been a huge gap between because I mean the Wii wasn't 
not graphically that's compared to the GameCube. So I don't think it was that big of a jump going to the Wii U. That's fair. The graphics are not the reason why the Wii U version stands out for me. It's more with the gamepad, using that with the map and the items and everything. That's the real standout feature for me with the Wii U. But speaking of items, uh, Twilight Princess does introduce a few new items to the Zelda series and some that we actually only see in Twilight Princess. Mm -hmm. Kira, are there any items from Twilight Princess that stand out for you as being cool items that maybe you'd like to see come back? It's, um, It's difficult because... The ones I want to bring up are very, very context dependent. You know, the spinner. Yeah. Yep. It's like, um, but it is really cool where you do get the chance to use it. And you can use it a couple of times in the overworld to get some secrets. And I also really like the massive ball and chain yeah. that like just swings around and throws at enemies. <laughs> <laughs> this feels very powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's like the Dominion Rod, which brings statues back to life, which that one only oh, yeah. appears. That. That, yeah, that one only appears in Twilight Princess and Hyrule Warriors. So it's just like a forgotten Zelda yeah. item, unfortunately. But uh, obviously there's a lot of return items, like you get your uh, your slingshot and your bow and arrow. And they even add some new abilities to existing items, like with your um, with your boomerang, you get the ability to kind of throw her up. Uh, tornadoes which is really cool i love it feels so powerful like when you lock onto something you use your boomerang and the tornado and it brings like the bomb to you or whatever i love doing stuff like that it kind of almost feels like using kratos's axe like in the new god of war games or something it's awesome um but yeah the yeah. items in this game are really good um i'll give it that sometimes in zelda games they kind of they you kind of forget that you even have them they're just a part of link like i i feel like in ocarina of time as much love as everybody gives that game i feel like the items don't stand out very much in that game honestly like they don't matter as much no I think, and that's the thing right where twilight princess like you kind of need these items like mm-hmm. to do a lot of stuff and i think again that goes a little bit back to the fact that uh it was also for the wii and so they were trying to do a little bit some more motion items as well um but yeah like it, it, in twilight princess is definitely such a focus on like well you kind of need to use this item to get to the next area yeah yeah it's true I did want to talk uh, really quickly, though, about the uh, the box art of the game. We haven't really talked much about that yet. This is a really standout Zelda box art for me, seeing that half, that Link face looking off, and then the uh, the Wolf Link taking up the other half of the uh, of the case. I do like the Wii U uh, case as well. I think that one's a good one, but the GameCube one is iconic for me. I re- I really like it. I re- in fact, I remember looking at it like back in the day and just be I just I don't know I just I just stared at it. Mm-hmm. I was so impressed by it. So yeah, I definitely am a fan. It's very artistic in that way, too, and I think it describes the game very well. Uh, Just obviously, like, you know, the edginess of it. Like, the hand-drawn features on the case are fantastic. Uh, Even, like, the little... I don't know what you would call it, but the the almost watermark, I guess, like that goes behind uh, Zelda, uh, like the word Zelda, is really cool here mm-hmm. with like the wolf kind of jutting out. Mm-hmm. There's Minda's little you know thing uh, above there for her icon. The fish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so it's like it's very cool how they did it. I think it's a, a great way to display uh, this box as well. And one of the first times we don't see a full gold foiling or attempted gold foiling on a Zelda case because, of course. For Wind Waker, that was kind of supposed to be painted in gold and a lot of the other ones as well. This one does have gold on the actual disc, of course. I'm holding it right now. But it's uh, it's it's not the same as uh, as the other ones. And yeah, the, 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 Wii one, the, Wii, the Wii U one is cool too, but I prefer the GameCube one personally. I yep. prefer GameCube as well. I mean, maybe I'm just imagining it because I haven't looked at it in a while, but I swear the Wii U one was just a bit brighter. As is the game itself with like the graphics, they kind of brained up a little bit. So it's more brighter. It's like 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 definitely like saturated yeah. up as well. Like and there's a lot more stuff on the box. Like Ganondorf's on the box. Uh, Ilya's on the box. Like the little kid, I forget his name that you're helping at the beginning is on there. Uh, Colin. Yeah, oh, he's on the <laughs> box. Uh, and Zelda, like Zelda, the different versions, Twilight Zelda. Like so, there's a lot going on. 
on the Wii U box, and it's cool, but I think the simplicity of the GameCube box is really, really nice, because that's really all you need to see, is Wolf and Link. Yeah, I, I, I think simplicity was the way to go. Yeah, the Wii U one looks more like, almost like a movie poster, honestly, which, like, the yeah. Star Wars posters, <laughs> where you've got all the characters on, on the on the case, and it's it's cool, like, it looks, it's hand-painted and everything, but the GameCube and the Wii one, to a certain degree, they almost look like, like, they could be a tattoo or something, like, they're, they look really stylistic and, and cool. Um, yeah, I love the uh, Twilight Princess box art. It's definitely a keeper for sure. Might, might be the um, might be mm. the one thing I have for Wind Waker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like Wind Waker. Uh, Wind Waker has one of the most beautiful like alternative box arts, which is the 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 art on the manual inside. I love that art. Mm, oh yeah, that's true. I yeah, I used to just like sit and like read the manual more than I played the game. Like back then, like just looking at all the pictures. Yeah, that was, that was because that one's actually like a really nice manual if I remember correctly, and it's like super yeah. colorful and everything too. Uh, Neil bought me Twilight Princess for GameCube because I actually technically never owned it; I only ever rented it. It did not include the manual, Neil. So, uh, yeah. Oh, it did. Uh, <laughs> oh, <my bad. laughs> yeah, that's it. Unfriended right now. That's uh. <laughs> well. <laughs> Uh, but I do have a little thing here that says I can subscribe to Ninten- Nintendo Power and get an official player's guide. And a soundtrack CD is my free gift. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Got to do that. <laughs> and that's got uh, that's got Twilight Princess Link on uh, on the cover here as well. That's one thing, too. We, we see Twilight Princess Link and Zelda everywhere. And we were talking earlier about this. But that, that seems to just be like a recurring theme that those two are used for all marketing, all merchandise for the end of time. I think it has slightly shifted to Breath of the Wild since it's so popular, but I That's think Twilight Princess Link has the iconic green clothes. The iconic mm-hmm. lo- green clothes. He, you know, he looks a bit older. He's got like the edgy kind of like angry look, which is the anime hair. Yeah, the anime hair. It's, it, it seems like the they always think North Americans want like the angry kind of <laughs> version. I mean, to be mm-hmm. fair, considering the backlash to Wind Waker, it's like. Yeah, it was very... There might be some reasoning behind that. But now Wind Waker is beloved by everyone, so I don't know. You know, it's just <laughs> pick a lane, guys. Yeah, it's, it's strange, yeah. It, it must be difficult to try and figure out, like, what what people are currently, like, what is currently popular if you try to, like, market these games and stuff. Because gamers don't know what they want. That's the problem. It's like, you'll <laughs> yeah. ask for... Zelda fans. I, I love the Zelda community. Obviously, I made, like, so many friends, but, like, I don't know, sometimes we're a bit daft. <laughs> it does get irritating listening to people begging for things, and then when they finally come out, like, you don't buy them, and then, yeah, it, it's a whole vicious cycle. But fan, fan bases can be super annoying with, with stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame them for making uh, another game similar to Breath of the Wild since that game sold incredibly well. But if uh, Tears of the Kingdom doesn't sell well, then they'll switch back to uh, maybe an edgier link. We'll see. But... We will see. But, uh, <laughs> but Kira, before we let you go, I uh, want to ask you, where does Twilight Princess fit in your rankings for favorite 3D Zeldas? I think we talked about 3D Zeldas on a, a previous one, mm-hmm. but mine's totally changed since then. <laughs> um, it's just an I, I I replayed like two of the games well, three of them actually. So, um, I think it's number three because I have Wind Waker at the top, mm-hmm. Ocarina second, then Twilight Princess, and then it would be Majora's Mask, then Skyward Sword, then Breath of the Wild. Okay, yeah, well, that's fair. Wow, it's my hot, my hot take. <laughs> Breath of the Wild at the very yeah. bottom. Wow, I, it's the opposite it's, of Mike and I. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm gonna get, I, I'm gonna get attacked by this by someone probably, but <laughs> I, it's, I, I like, I like it. It's, it's well made. It's just not for me because it's so different. That's just that's just how it is. Hey, that's right. that's totally fair. You know, I mean, I think that that's how I feel about Twilight Princess sometimes, where people kind of bash Twilight Princess. I'm like, hey, it's uh, it's 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 not for you. That's fine, but I really enjoy this game. Yeah, 
That's that's that self defense. I think some people. I mean, I was like this as well, so I can't really judge. <laughs> but it's like it's hard to distinguish for some people, like what is just not for you and what is just terrible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the Zelda games have changed a lot. Like when you go back and play Twilight Princess, like as much as we love it, it is very similar to the games that came before it and Skyward Sword that came right after it. Breath of the Wild was a complete change in the in the formula. So it was very divisive amongst the Zelda community. Mike and I fell on the side of people who absolutely adored it and fell in love with it, played it for 200 hours each. And the people that want those old school or older styled Zelda games like Twilight Princess where you collect your your three pieces of whatever and then you go back to the seven dungeons and you fight Ganon at the end. I feel bad for the people that are only into those types of games because I feel like it's going to be a while before we get a game like that again. I think Tears of the Kingdom is going to be similar to Breath of yeah. the Wild and it just feels like the yeah. only traditional Zelda games that we get now are going to be remakes for the next little bit, which is too bad. There are a lot of those in the past that we can bring up and remake again, but a new one I think is we might be looking at the next console, even if that, if we get anything like that again, we'll have to wait and see. But there's still some good ones in the past that I think that they could go back and remake and put out again. A lot of the 2D handheld ones could be brought up into 3D. I think that would be really cool. But until then, we'll just have to wait and see what uh, what next year's Zelda game brings. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I almost, maybe it sounds odd, but I actually do really like this repetition of it, just like knowing sort of what to expect from the formula. Definitely. I don't know, it's just really nice to me. It's, 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 Zelda is like my stress relief game, you know? <laughs> I like knowing what to expect almost. No, I understand that. It works in the Pokemon community. They've been playing the same game since 1996. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, occasional... I, I think Zelda's a bit yes. more varied than that. <laughs> yes. <but>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Zelda's got a few notches on uh, on Pokemon for sure. But, uh, <laughs> different different games, apples and oranges. I'm gonna get so much hate for that comment. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll get it for what I've said about my Zelda ranking. It's fine. <laughs> well, Kira, it was great to have you on as always. And before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to say about Twilight Princess and uh, just I guess Zelda in general? Since I brought up the manga with Four Swords Adventures, I want to say that the manga series for Twilight Princess is also really really good. Mm. In fact, it, it it actually like enhanced my understanding and love for the story itself. Because it can really expand upon certain elements and make Link a stronger character, if you get me. Mm. So I would definitely recommend that if you're a fan of the game. I did not know that existed. So I'm... Yeah, there's, there's like 10 of them translated into English. And there's I think there's one more coming. Oh, wow. So, I'm definitely going to check it yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's a long series, but it's really good. I mean, it's honestly worth it for... I think because this game has such a strong story and such strong characters, I would actually be like interested in seeing kind of more development with them as well even though we had so many hours of development like it's a manga series for this would be really cool so thank you for recommending that and uh (laughs) yeah everyone probably you should check that out but uh something else you should check out is uh kira's instagram and her pages uh and kira will let you take the time and plug what you're working on right now all right so instagram my main account is twos where I, I, I mainly posted about GameCube games, but I could be branching out lately. So talking about lots of different like Nintendo stuff, uh, Zelda, Mario. I also really like Resident Evil. So yeah. And then I also have my Zelda-centric account, Tales of the Great Sea. It, that's mainly me posting about two links. So that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so if that's that got your attention, then cool. <laughs> yeah, when are you going to make your Wolf Link account? That's the question. Uh, no, it's not, it's not got the same amount of love. <laughs> no, I, I do, I do love Wolf Link, but no, it's, no, it's not quite as uh, not quite as iconic as yeah. Toon Link. <laughs> no, Toon Link is the best Link. Just don't, don't, don't at me on that. <laughs> you just need Toon Link riding on the back of uh, Wolf Link, and that's the perfect. That's oh the perfect yeah, setup. that's a good idea. I mean, I think like they, they originally in like the, the like some sort of like beta thing, they had like Tetra riding on Wolf Link. So I mean, you're not a million miles away. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> 
Uh, with all of these Hyrule Warrior games, I feel like that they could totally do every Link riding on Wolf Link, which is weird, but <laughs> awesome at the same time. That'd be so cool. They do need to bring back the Wolf Link in some way. Uh, I know that they did with uh, with Breath of the Wild. Like, if you tapped the um, the Wolf Link amiibo onto your Switch when you are playing Breath of the Wild, something happened to do with the wolf. I forget what it was now, but they, they had he, something he like that. He just pops up and follows you around, I think. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's very close. You can't ride him, unfortunately. I think you can maybe pet him at best, but they came close. With... I, I, I think he's... <laughs> I don't think it's quite strong enough. Yeah. Like, like, I know the link on that, but it depends. But yeah, cool character. I'm a fan of Toon Link as well. But uh, yeah, great Instagram pages. We love all of the the love that you put into uh, Zelda, Mario, and Resident Evil. Both or all three are big franchises Mike and I both love. So uh, keep up the great work. And we're almost done the GameCube library, but we'll for sure be back next year to talk about those games in other contexts as well. So we'll definitely have you back uh, once we relaunch our, uh, our new project. Oh, nice. Thank you. That's, that's really exciting. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you again, Kira. We uh, really appreciate you taking the time and we'll talk to you again real soon. It it was a joy. Thank you so much. (laughs) No worries. See you later. Bye-bye. Take care. What a nice young lady. What a nice young lady. Thank you very much, Kira, for coming on today at Toonie Twirls. Like she said, she has a great Instagram over there. So check it out. She posts all kinds of stuff, which she's been playing recently. Uh, Definitely uh, getting into other things that are not just just Toon Link, which is always nice, Uh, and not just Zelda, some Mario, some Resident Evil, which she loves as well, and and some other games too. And, you know, that's kind of what we'll be doing eventually too, Neil, but uh, we'll get into that for another episode once we're done the GameCube library. Uh, But Kira obviously having some great insight on uh twilight princess and just the that world in general always interesting when people play this one on the wii first and kind of uh get that experience because yeah you're right neil like the motion controls that is such a big part of it when it first came out definitely the console that you played this game on first back in the day whether it was wii or gamecube would really dictate what your opinion is on it years later yeah as similar as they are there are slight differences that do make the player's experience better or worse depending on who's playing so yeah like like i've said a bunch of times today already i would love to go back and play the wii version at some point i just god i really don't want to use a nunchuck and, and wii mode anymore that's my only problem is that i know what's in for me uh a skyward sword like i said was was a bit of a bit of a slog but one thing kira did talk about though that i i'm interested in looking into are those mangas yeah the, the twilight princess expanded universe if you will the books <laughs> that they made that sounds really interesting i would love to check those out i hope that there's an entire side story just about cuckoo or cuckoos the demon chickens from this game because they are the most terrifying thing from this game hands down Chickens from Hell, the movie, the game. Starring Chris Pratt. Yeah, it's a, it's a sequel to Chicken Run. Oh, okay, cool. They're, they're actually making that. So maybe the cuckoo will, uh, or the cuckoo will, uh, will make an appearance in that movie. But uh, on with the show. Mike, our phone lines are still ringing. We have one more guest joining the show today. So uh, why don't you bring our next caller on the show to talk more about Twilight Princess? Joining us today is a friend of the show, Cam at CPOX. We're really excited to have him back on the show. Of course, when I first started this podcast with Neil, uh, Cam messaged me and said, cool podcast. I want to be on for every single Zelda episode. (laughs) And sure enough, he has been on for all three so far. And this, of course, is the fourth Zelda episode because it is the last Zelda game for the GameCube. And Cam, before we get into Twilight Princess, I want to ask you, what is your favorite 3D Zelda game of all time? Uh, Okay, favorite 3D Zelda. It's hard. It's hard to choose. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this may ruffle some feathers, but it has to be Breath of the Wild. Mm, Nice. It has to be. Some people say that's not a Zelda game, but I contest that it is. Of course it is. It's a 3D video game called Zelda, by definition. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> God, people can be people can be so weird. <laughs> well, our, our last caller had Breath of the Wild ranked last on her Zelda <gasps> list. Who? And, <laughs> and so it's uh, nice to see Breath of the Wild up there again for you. Of course, for Neil and I, it is our number one Zelda game. Sometimes our number one game of all time. It's always mm-hmm. always my favorite video game of all time. So yeah, it's going to be my favorite Zelda, favorite 3D <laughs> Zelda. Uh, it could be my favorite 2D Zelda too, if you... Uh, if you really want to get technical with it, it's not, obviously. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Breath of the Wild, really good. Excited to see where the sequel takes us. Yes. Speaking of ruffling feathers, though, Cam, uh, you said that when you came on. I'm glad you yes. did. Where do you come down on cuckows or cuckows in this game? The uh, the, the, the demented, the chickens that uh, have faces of a mannequin that can only be described as a burn victim, uh, <laughs> tits of a 90-year-old woman, and a chicken that's been overfed by uh, KFC farmers. Where, where do you come down on these uh, these chickens? Are they the most terrifying thing out of any video game? They, they're pretty terrifying. I, as someone who grew up with Ocarina of Time as their main uh, mm. game, where the <laughs> one, one, actually several wrong moves against, a, a, well, I called them cuckos, but... Um, and you're you're dead. Yep. <laughs> they're horrifying. Yeah, they're extra terrifying in Twilight Princess for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, but uh, there's 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 a lot of stuff in Twilight Princess that kind of freaked me out a little bit as a kid. It's definitely got that dark vibe and uh, definitely going for the opposite of Wind Waker. But of course, this came out three years after Wind Waker. And Cam, when did you play this game? Did you play it when it came out? Uh, Twilight Princess. Yeah, I'm a GameCube Twilight Princess. Nice fan. Yeah, the correct. You're the yeah. one out of every at one of every Twilight Princess GameCube fan. There were four Wii sales of Twilight Princess, so you were on the right side of history, but you were definitely in the minority. But good call, you uh, yeah. you lucked out there waiting on the Wii. I mean, most people couldn't find one for a while, so you're probably just stuck playing the Twilight Princess on GameCube. But uh, <laughs> I believe that is correct. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> happened to be the better version though that you uh, you lucked out with. And did you eventually go back and play the uh, the Wii U version as well in HD later or? Yes, I did. Actually, Twilight Princess was not among my favorite the first time through growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because of the dark vibes uh, Mike mentioned, I was scared of that game a lot. And because yeah. I was, a, I don't remember the exact year it came out, but I was a, I was definitely a kid. And on a replay as an adult, oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and and what what about this game is just so iconic for you i guess like obviously the dark vibes the scariness but as an adult what makes it so much fun yeah the dark vibes and scariness as an adult <laughs> is what makes it fun like a grittier a grittier yeah. zelda world um i mean and also the the wolf the whole wolf thing like that's so cool and it, it was unlike anything i'd seen in a zelda game um the whole you know going into the senses to find uh, track trails and learning the songs as a wolf i still every time i hear like the it's like jeez you get to start a howl yeah it's pretty cool you don't get to start a howl in too many other video games that's a good point yeah yeah how many times do you play as a wolf in anything honestly like it's it's pretty cool that you especially as you get later in the game the fact that you can just switch between the two is really cool and i think you nailed it with the fact like for me and i think a lot of people they didn't really love Twilight Princess when it first came out. And I know that's kind of the Zelda cycle. You think of Wind Waker and how <laughs> people hated that game when it came out. And now it's, you know, the critic's darling. Uh, as I kind of got older, I I just associated it with the Wii a little bit too. 
and mm. I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, the Wii's for babies. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to play this game. And then you get older, you, you, you play Twilight Princess later on in life, and you're like, wow, I can actually really appreciate a lot of the, the more subtle things that were going on. Um, the characterization, the the story, like all the the dialogue is actually really funny and well done, mm-hmm. and like very well written. I'd say for a, a Zelda game. Yeah, I, I was really immersed in the the story, um, and I remember feeling like like visceral disgust when I got to t- like Twilight World mm-hmm. and seeing the people. It's like, oh, I don't even know if I want to like save these guys, <laughs> but I guess I will. But. <laughs> Yeah, that was a really neat moment, like, going into the dark world. That's not really anything new to Zelda games at all, really, since, what, A Link to the Past, when you go into the Mm -hmm. the dark world there, and then with Ocarina of Time, you kind of go into the future and into the past, and one is a bit darker than the other. Majora's Mask is a pretty dark game all the way through, so I I, I don't consider this necessarily to be the darkest game through and through. It is very, it has very dark uh, metaphors and everything in it throughout, definitely. And, yeah, the Twilight Realm is really cool when you get there, and you fight those, I don't know what the, I forget what the beasts are called now, but, like, the black kind of giant monsters that you have to kill all of them at once otherwise they they make that horrifying trumpet sound to bring them all back to life i thought those are those are really cool enemies to fight to kind of unlock a little area i wish that it was maybe a little bit more i guess what's the word i'm looking for i just wish it was a little bit more thought out the way that you fight them uh Mm. I, i wasn't really a huge fan of just holding down b yeah. And then they all die. Like, I felt like that was a bit of a weak cop-out for, for fighting them. Um, but yeah. I think that that had something to do with the Wiimote. I'm, I'm always going to blame any fault that this game has on motion controls, honestly. I think that that was just them trying to translate motion controls. Like, how are we supposed to get somebody with a with a, a sword in their hand to kill all three of these things at once? Mm-hmm. Let's just give Minna a giant attack range and she can kind of use her hand to kill them all at <laughs> once. But still, yeah. fighting those things was really cool. They looked like something out of uh, War of the Worlds or something. It was really neat. And speaking of uh, bad guys and uh, characters that you fight in this game, uh, Cam, do you have a favorite uh, dungeon or boss fight from this game that really stands out to you? Oh, man, I'd have to... Okay, can you name some dungeons to <laughs> tweak my memory? I'm just thinking of those black monsters now. Then they make the weird, like, like the noise. Actually, the sound when the bad guys come always got me because it's like that jangly, like, like... Yeah, the the flying the flying ones. Yeah, the flying kind of like uh, demon bird things. I don't know what the heck everything is in this game. They all have names. I don't remember any of them. But yeah, they they have like a weird, almost like a yeah like another trumpet sound that just speeds up as it gets closer and closer, and you know something is coming in after you. But to go through the game, we actually haven't really talked much about that. In order, you go to the Forest Temple, the Gorin Mines, Lake Bed Temple, Arbiter's Grounds, Snow Peak Ruins, Temple of Time, City in the Sky. Palace of Twilight, and then Hyrule Temple. And uh, each one of those areas has a big boss fight. Each each temple comes with its own item that you collect and then use to solve puzzles. There is a boss fight while Cam is looking that up. I'll, uh, I'll say mine. Mike and I haven't actually told our favorite boss fights in the game. Uh, my favorite boss fight is in City in the Sky, and that's when you have your double hook shot. And you fight Argorok, Red, which is basically like a red eyes black dragon kind of fight. Oh, yeah. I love that boss fight, the flying dragon flying around, and you have to kind of zip from platform to platform and, and shoot stuff at him. That fight was really cool, reminded me of something like out of Shadow of the Colossus. I love big boss fights, and that was one of the bigger ones in the game. You feel like you really feel like you're Spider Man in that part of the game. <laughs> so uh, that was the one for me that really stood out. And of course, we've talked a lot about the um, Stall Lord boss fight, which is the one that takes place when you're using the um, the spinner, like a Beyblade, fighting him with that. Okay, uh, I have a mini boss first that I mm. thought was really fun. 
Um, mostly because I was streaming it while I fought it. Uh, and it was, okay, the desert level where you get to ride the boar and just destroy everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then that big, like, honking guy comes out with his huge club. And the only way to uh, take him down is to do that, you know, when, you know those special moves you learn from the knight, the, like, wolf knight or whatever he yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, the jump to the side and roll and come up and hit him in the in the butt basically. Yeah, it was. Uh, I have a nice clip of me just going, in in the butt, in the butt, in the butt, in the butt. And, uh, so that's a, that's a nice memory. What's the boss of that temple? I'm trying to remember because I remember the desert being my my favorite area always. Arbiter's Grounds, which is again, that's the boss fight where you fight in the sand. I think he's, so I think he's thinking of that. Of our, 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 uh, that's what I'm Arbiter's thinking. Well, I can look it up. But that I makes think sense. That's... Well, he's looking it up, Mike. Well, what's your favorite boss fight in the game? We haven't talked to you about. I'm that. basic. I like the Gandor fight. That's the best. Okay, fight. it just it's nice. so much fun because you like Zant comes and then you're like, you know, he does his crazy weird ass. You know what that reminded me of playing it again this week was that reminded me of Psychomantis. And that oh, fight okay. in Metal Gear Solid, uh, just like how he's just so ridiculous. And you're like, what is going on? And then when Gandorf comes and it's like, okay, this is like going to be a real fight. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, Gand- I-, I also love, love Gandorf's design in this game. I think this is the best designed Gandorf ever. His Toon Link one is just like, it's cool, obviously, but like. It's it's so I don't know it, it's it, it's not as scary and it's not as like dark and edgy menacing as, yeah menacing yeah. thank you that's the word I'm looking for not as menacing as as the Twilight Princess one where like Gandalf and Twilight Princess just it, I think it's like he looks the closest to human and same with like just Zelda and Link as well like they look the closest to basically what we look like so it, it's pretty cool to see in that and you're like oh you know what he could probably do some damage so it feels like I need to take him out. The matchup of their two designs, Link and Ganon, in this game is probably the best of any of the 3D Zelda yeah. games. I think I like, I, I love Toon Link. He is definitely one of my favorite video game characters. And yeah, Ganon in Wind Waker is really cool. But the size difference between the two, it, it's kind of ridiculous. Like Link is like the size of Stewie Griffin. And then <laughs> Ganon is like just a giant. So it's a little bit ridiculous. Whereas this one, they're closer in size. They look a little bit more to scale yeah. as humans would be. And someone who is just... Someone who's just really big could be Ganon, and then Link is just someone who could be a very athletic teenage boy. He could be like, me. It, it, he could, <laughs> I could be Link. Who knows? But yeah, the Ganon fight at the end is really cool. This game does have, though, like probably the biggest uh, dichotomy between the coolest boss fight, like the Ganon and the Star Lords, and then some of the less exciting ones, like the Fyrus that we talked about with Tristan, even like Morpheal, which is the underwater boss. Like that was cool, and it reminded me of, Sh- of Shadow of the Colossus boss fight again, where you're fighting this giant underwater eel, but. I don't know, like, the bosses just kind of feel like at times they're really dumb. Like, the AI is just not after you at all, and you yeah. can you can tell when they're entering into the attack pattern where they're going to attack you. Um, some of them are just really easy to knock down, uh, whereas, like, dungeons that they sometimes belonged in were really cool. Like, Snow Peak Ruins has um, the giant abominable snowman that you fight against with the uh, ball and chain, which is a neat boss fight, and I actually really like that temple. Uh, it's you, you're just in this kind of mansion or in like a ski lodge or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, it reminds me of something like until dawn or resident evil where you don't expect this area to be a temple or you don't expect it to be anything big, but you start to uncover it and you find new rooms and new levels and you decide, Oh wow, this is actually a really cool, uh, temple with a lot of levels. Snow peak ruins is a really cool standout of the game. The snow, that's the, uh, the snow temple. I love that one. I love Snow Peak Ruins. Yeah, that's a really, really cool area. Again, like yeah. you, you you nailed it. It doesn't feel like it should be really like anything. And you're like, oh, wow, this turns out to be like a very interesting, different 
uh, part of the Zelda game because I, you know, we don't really get uh, the the snow part of Zelda other than Breath of the Wild when you're climbing up the the mountains, uh, and which is one of my favorite parts. Yeah, snow in, in Zelda games is is pretty tough, but. Uh... Let's bring Cam back into the conversation here about something that's been uh, boggling both Mike and my mind, actually, for the past couple days. And Cam, maybe you can help us kind of discuss it a little bit. We actually put a poll out on Instagram earlier this week just to get just to get the, the listeners to uh, get included a little bit. And 36% said, yes, Twilight Princess is an RPG, leaving 64% saying, no, it is not. And this is actually a divisive thing between Mike and I, where Mike, Mike does think that uh, Twilight Princess falls more on the RPG side, whereas I think it... I think it's more of an action adventure game, uh, but Zelda has always been a bit of a tough uh, series to yeah. um, to define for sure. But to you, is Twilight Princess an RPG? Is it an RPG? I don't. I don't. Immediately, I don't know. I mean, an RPG, a role playing game. I, I'm thinking like, I guess yeah. What makes an RPG? Because the first RPG I remember is Super Mario RPG for the Super Nintendo, mm. and that's kind of like, I don't. Oh man, that's a tough question. Because, like, for me, I think I consider Twilight Princess closer to an RPG because it of such a heavy focus on story and characters. And I know that's, like, not necessarily just an RPG trait, but that's something that RPGs focus on the most is the fact that it's like, well, it's a role-playing game. You're going through the world. You're interacting with NPCs. You're doing quests. You're, like, I think of, like, Witcher as an RPG as well in that sense. And I think Twilight Princess is very close to the Witcher uh, in a lot of areas mm. in terms of design, in terms of atmosphere, in terms of, uh, again, the storyline, in terms of how long it is as well. This is, of course, a extremely long Zelda game and yeah. RPGs are traditionally quite long. Um, and I think just the fact that it's it's different enough from the games that came before, like Ocarina, like Majora's Mask, uh, that yeah. I, 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 I think it's not necessarily just a hardcore, certainly RPG, but it definitely has very strong RPG elements. Yeah, I think I'll have to abstain from that question because I don't want to come between the GameCube bros and cause undue duress. <laughs> He's like, oh god, what did I come in on? <laughs> See, my, my thing is that it's not. It falls on not an RPG. Is is I agree with Mike in that yes, it is a it is a very long game and it does heavily rely on story and character development, which a lot of video games do that that aren't RPGs. For me, it's more to do with the combat in the game and the leveling up system is always what makes an RPG an RPG in that mm. when you play Twilight Princess, like you don't get to Ganon at any specific level. Like everyone gets to Ganon at the end of the game basically as the same link. Your sword is the same, it does the same damage as everyone else's sword did. You have probably similar health if you played the game the same way. I know that you can do you can go unlock health, but like most video games, your health bar increases. So I don't really consider that an RPG element. Mm -hmm. It's got more to do with leveling up your weapons, your character, your party, if you have one. Zelda games obviously don't have parties, but it usually includes like skill trees. Like if you were to increase Link's mm -hmm. health, maybe your your uh, your speed goes down or your your strength goes down. Usually there's, there's something to do with a scale of managing all of your stats, which this game doesn't really have any of that you increase your health and your pocket size and that's about it you you right. all everybody who played twilight princess ended up at the final boss fight with the same list of items and the same sword and everything like that which makes it to me not mm -hmm. an rpg it does have rpg elements though for sure and i think that this is the generation the um 
the seventh generation, which Twilight Princess technically is, where a lot of video games started to adopt the RPG elements, like leveling up systems and everything. So the blurriness of what is an RPG got greater and greater. That's like true. like Spider-Man on PS4 is basically an RPG, but no one would <laughs> consider it one because you can level up, you can you can increase your all of your stats, you can unlock new moves. You yeah. it's very heavy on story. It's a pretty yeah. long game. Like it it would be considered an RPG by the definition, but. Video game genres are so weird, and they change uh, yeah. on a on a daily basis, basically. So it's it's hard to say. But we gave Cam an impossible question there. To be fair, we did. So. But let's go back to a possible question that we did <laughs> give Cam and completely ignore him on. Cam, what is your favorite boss fight from Twilight Princess? Okay, so I did. I looked them all up to re- remind myself. And oh man, uh, memories first of all. But uh, I did come to a conclusion before you said before you said this. But the the abominable snowman house is so fun especially the snowboard race to get there uh like i remember losing that so many times until you find (laughs) a little shortcut right at the end but like it was a good mix of puzzle actually if i'm remembering correctly it's a lot more puzzle than uh like combat which uh, i actually like in a zelda game and the the wife who's the uh spoiler who's the like boss in the end is so weird and scary but also like She's weird, but I wanted to save her, you know? Yeah. And and that house, yeah, like you like you said, just keeps getting bigger and bigger and um and I like the snow. I liked I liked that whole the whole aspect of that that I guess call it a temple. But I would have to say that one. <laughs> Snow Peak Ruins, yeah. Snow Peak Ruins. Yeah, it's uh it it's definitely a standout, I would say. Like they're but like all I'd say all these uh areas are you know really well done and they're very different and i think that there's a lot of uh there's a lot of elements put in here from other games of course but there was a lot of subtle innovation that twilight princess did which mm-hmm. i i really enjoy and one thing we really haven't talked about is the music in this game mm. and that's the perfect example of subtle innovation cam what do you think about the tracks and the music in twilight princess uh yeah i i love the music in in it i think this one i actually somewhere have the soundtrack for twilight princess because it's just like it's all it's all good uh even the like i mentioned briefly the enemy music is just something i still <laughs> today it's like burned into my memory like i won't try and do it again but uh yeah i think i think the music like i mean the what is it the hyrule field theme from ocarina of time is still epic in my opinion the most epic music of all time like come on (laughs) and just like and like i feel like the music in this i don't know what what it is about it but it it feels it, it feels a lot more like um grandiose isn't the word but uh it, it, it feels like there's a like much more purposeful. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And the music, like every time I'm anywhere, it's like okay, like this is what I have to do now, and the music is almost cueing me to do it. Yeah. Uh, and and I think like obviously Zelda does that for every game, but I think Twilight Princess does it even more so. And I th- and it's interesting, like when you think of Breath of the Wild, which almost does the opposite thing of Twilight Princess uh, in terms of music, where it basically just like takes the smallest music cue and just adds it in while you're playing rather than kind of making it a very much part of the level yeah it's very minimal like yeah mm-hmm. you, like the only thing you hear in breath of the wild sometimes for a long time is just that little piano jingle yeah, that they trill. play like 
Yeah, which is really cool. It's more, it means more when music finally does play. Whereas with this one, it's a lot like uh, Wind Waker, where I think the entire soundtrack in in Twilight Princess is orchestrated for the most part, except yeah. for maybe some of the um, the Twilight Realm parts, which almost sound like you're playing a record backwards at times. Yeah. It's really unnerving and and cool. It's a it's a neat soundtrack. It's very different from games that we've had before it, and then games after it, where with Skyward Sword, it's all orchestrated. It's very uh, somewhat not bombastic i was gonna say something like that but just very it's got huge crescendos and and big you know swooping like string sections and everything like skyward sword is a really cool soundtrack too i will give it that but this one just has just the right amount of charm and like just the right amount of music that plays with the certain scenes like in the cutscenes. and when you go to that twilight realm when you go to hyrule field it all fits really well together um and they did have to do a lot of different types of music for different scenes like this this game does go from being somewhat bright at times to being extremely dark at times so to to make music that transitions so seamlessly from area to area is is no small feat and uh koji kondo uh amazing video game composer and uh i really hope that he does more zelda games in the future because uh he's an absolute genius when it's uh when it comes to video games killing it as always and we've asked every guest so far on this show about our favorite companion, Minna. Ooh. What were your thoughts about uh, Minna in this game, Cam? <laughs> um, at what point in the game? Ah, yeah. See, that's, ah. that's the question, right? So, of course, uh, you know, she starts off the sassy Minna and then turns into the, oh, I actually kind of care about things because Zelda sacrificed herself for me. Mm-hmm. And then? And then she turns into full-grown Minna. She goes, she evolves into her uh, yeah. third-generation Pokemon, basically. <laughs> I, I referred to her as hot Minna at that, at that time. <laughs> I was trying not to, but yeah, you, you said it. <laughs> so yes, obviously we have normal Minna, caring Minna, and hot Minna. And so yeah, what were, what were your kind of initial thoughts playing this? Because of course, she's very different from any companion that we've ever had before in a Zelda game. I liked Minna a lot because because she's sassy. And because she's not Navi, mostly. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you have the uh, the annoying fairy in the first two, and then the annoying talking boat. And then now you have this like sassy lady who's only helping you to help herself, and she turns you into a wolf. And I like that she, I think she, out of those first ones anyway, she's the only one that gives you extra abilities just by like being there when, when you're in the wolf form anyway. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, like you were mentioning about story, I think like her story, like your your partner's story is the biggest impact on the story. And I think uh, so as she had story and game mechanics and humor in the dialogue. And it's like, it's hard to top that. And I'll tell you, Fee certainly didn't top Midna, but we, <laughs> I know this isn't a Skyward Sword Skyward Sword was cool, the the new podcast. That's... That'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> One episode. <laughs> and speaking of characters, uh, of course, there's tons of side characters in this game and so many eccentric ones and so many really fun ones to help out. Uh, are there any that kind of stick in your mind as being some of your favorites? The one that immediately jumps to mind, maybe the Soul Revels and Feathers, but the the cat that uh, yeah. hel- helps you. I can't, I can't remember the cat's name. Um, the bartender's cat, yeah. though. Yep. That, like helps you when you're stuck as a wolf they're so sassy and just like (laughs) it's just they're just really funny i think the cat's got some of the best dialogue and honestly just like the everything in the opening sequences of the game i know we've said this a million times already but i know that's what a lot of people drag the game on is how it it kind of was quite long and the opening is quite long before you get to the first dungeon but it's some of the best dialogue exists there Mm -hmm. like you have the cat you have the cole or whatever his name is the the little boy 
Yeah. Who wants oh. to be like you, who you're like helping out, but basically he's a loser. Like I hate that kid. <laughs> uh, you have Ilya who's like lost her memories or, and like, she's kind of like your, well, actually she hasn't yet, but she's like your, your crush basically yeah. like starting out. It's like, she's got the hots for Link and <laughs> there's uh, the baby, the, 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 like, oh, the yeah. capitalist baby as they call him. Oh, with that's the weird right. eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. So much happens in this game that I'm you know, just like jostling memories. <laughs> I forgot the baby I, makes the store. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to give a quick shout out to one of the hardest working characters in all of Hyrule. And that is, of course, the mailman who uh, runs every letter to everyone who's just running like an idiot through Hyrule. I, I always laugh when I see that mail. He shows up in other games, too. But like when you see him running at you with a letter, like <gasps> he's running, running for yeah. his life wide eyed. I don't know what the job application looked like to be that to have that job. But I like how like the first letter that you get in in Twilight Princess is him giving you a letter explaining what he does. Does. It's just like, hi, I'm the mailman. If you see me running at you, don't be afraid. I have a message for you. That's basically what it is. He's a really funny character, too. I would, I, I think he should be the next Smash character from the Zelda universe. That would be funny. I'd play. I, I, I want Minna to be the next so badly. And every yeah, time probably she's the real not, one. it's sad. But uh, one question I'd like to, to ask you, Cam, that we haven't actually asked anyone yet. Ooh. Do you think it was the right move to have Twilight Princess come out in 2006 after Wind Waker instead of the other way around? And I say that because... Uh, we, of course, in 2001, 2002, we got the Space World mm-hmm. uh, Expo where we had uh, footage of basically an Ocarina HD. Uh, it looks very similar to Twilight Princess. I'm not saying that they were done Twilight Princess or anything in 2003, but it's just a hypothetical. Do you think it was the right move going with Wind Waker first and then Twilight Princess later? Oh, I, I wonder I wonder if it's because of the technology, like they wanted to have the motion controls and that's why... They released it in that order. Um, honestly, Wind Waker was so weird. I don't. I. I, I don't know what what their thought process was. Um, but I remember when it came out and being like, "What is this? What this <laughs> right. is? What is this?" And now I have a Wind Wake, like a picture or a poster of Wind Waker Link uh, on my wall that I'm looking at right now, and it's like, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I don't know how it would have gone if they had reversed it, um, but. Mm-hmm. Man, you're giving me the tough questions. I, I know. Sorry, we're, we're, we're giving you the very tough to answer. I'm going to say I think they released it in the right order because, I mean, you know how the, the motion control technology was when Twilight Princess did come out. Imagine it had come out years earlier. It would have been unusable. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, honestly. Or I guess it would have been in a GameCube exclusive maybe, but... GameCube motion controls, which were actually, that was one of the things, you know, to kind of backtrack here, but, but yeah, their motion controls were supposed to be for the GameCube at some point. That was kind of always the initial idea. And then of course that ended up being the Wii, mostly because the GameCube was selling so poorly in 04, 05, and in the later stages, they just decided to make a whole new console, (laughs) the GameCube Slim. That still couldn't play DVDs. (laughs) <laughs> it, it is a completely different history, though, that we would have uh, lived in had Twilight Princess come out before Wind Waker. And I love thinking about stuff like that because that was a definite split in the GameCube, like we talked about at the beginning of this episode. That was a big split in GameCube sales after Wind Waker came out. I feel like that Nintendo fans were somewhat catfished, honestly, when uh, when the GameCube was announced in 2000 and uh, in 2001, when we started to see... Uh, footage of what the GameCube could do with Zelda, and they were showing the fight between Link and Ganon in the what the, with the GameCube's power, what it would look like, and everyone was really hyped for this new 3D realistic looking Zelda. And then that was kind of the promise of the next Zelda game. And then 
it was a bait and switch and we were given Wind Waker, which yes, Cam is totally right. Like years go by and that's considered most people's favorite GameCube game or top 10 at least. A lot of people's favorite Zelda game even. But at the time, like th- that was that was obviously not the popular choice because gamers are very very fickle, honestly, mm-hmm. and they do get pretty upset quickly. And this is even this <laughs> no. <laughs> go on Twitter. And this is years before this is years before Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and everything yeah. where people could go online and and air their dirty laundry and and bitch and complain about everything else. This was long before that, luckily. Um, But I think that the smart decision probably would have been to just put out the thing that everybody wanted and Mm -hmm. the thing that you, frankly, advertised was coming uh, and not uh, Wind Waker, which I think would have been easier received had that been later in the GameCube's life uh, after we had the Twilight Princess that everyone wanted. But we'll never know. We just have this, uh, this game that came out on GameCube and Wii and eventually Wii U. And the NVIDIA Shield, which uh, never played that. And uh, our last question then, uh, leading into that, uh, Cam, would be, where do you see Twilight Princess future? Where do you see it going? Do you see it getting remade again? You know, Do we see it going on the Switch? Do we see it getting some kind of sequel or some kind of media in the future? First of all, I just want to say I didn't know that Twilight Princess was promised and then they did Wind Waker. And if I had known that, I would have said they should have swapped the release. Uh, but... Oh man, Twilight Princess. I I'm I think they should have every Zelda game available on the Switch. Like the yes, fact that they yes. can do it and they haven't. But I mean, in an ideal world where sequels didn't take a hundred years to come out, <laughs> I would love a sequel to Twilight Princess. I love that world. I would love to see Midna again and and get to yeah. experience her in her super powerful form. Like yeah. I, I would love hot to. Midna. Yeah, the hot Midna. <laughs> Uh, like hot queen of the twilight realm yeah like come on let's go i i would definitely like to see more of that world because we only saw a little bit of the actual twilight world once you know with with, mm-hmm. with um like her people and everything and i would 100 percent like to see a sequel not a re-release not a re-release i just don't i maybe this will uh go over poorly but i don't really care about graphics all that much I guess I'm not a gamer, so yeah. I, I do not care about graphics. So a re-release to me is just like, okay, this is a money thing. And I will say, I'm kind of uh, mad about re-releases because I suffered through Skyward Sword um, like on a stream. <laughs> and I swear the day I finished it, they announced that they were re-releasing it. And I was, I'm still furious. I'm so sorry for your <laughs> loss. Yeah, it was really frustrating. That is rough. So yeah, people people complain about the the tutorial for uh, Twilight Princess. It's got nothing on the tutorial for Skyward Sword. My God, that like the original one for that takes so long, and they explain every little stupid detail for like jumping. Yeah, like and oh, it's awful i hate it i hate it so much but uh uh the the hd remaster is okay but you probably don't need to ever play it cam because you got to suffer enough (laughs) i shan't you and me both you and me both cam (sighs) fool me once but we yeah. uh, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Of course, Cam, we love having you on to talk some Zelda, and we will uh, give you this time to plug whatever you're working on right now. All right, uh, what am I working on that's relevant? Um, well, you know, I did actually have a stream recently. I'm slowly getting back into the streaming world, and I think you already tagged me at the t- off the top, but it is CPOX C P A W X on Twitch. Um, that's the only thing that I would plug at this time. Uh, it's going to hopefully pick up again now that it's far too cold to ever be outside, but it's getting there. (laughs) Uh, that's, you know, people are trapped inside. So I think that now's the time to do it. 
they're forced to watch you. So they're like, exactly. okay, well, might as well, <laughs> might as well put some content out. But uh, yeah, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show now for four episodes. Yeah. Uh, we we love having you on to talk some Zelda, and we you know of course we'll be continuing the podcast even though the GameCube library is uh, is finished basically very close to it. Yeah. Twilight Princess, of course, the last big release on the GameCube. Uh, so we will definitely have you on for our next project. Excellent. Well, it's always a pleasure to come on, so thank you guys. Thank you so much, Camp. We will, of course, have more Zelda talk in the future, too, so you you have to continue your your 1,000 batting average here and keep coming on for all of our Zelda talks. Absolutely. <laughs> Forever. Great. Yeah, that's your contract that you signed. I don't know if you know that, but... Uh... I love it. <laughs> all right. See you later, Cam. All right. Thanks, guys. See Bye. ya. Bye, buddy. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Cam, for coming on today at CPOX. He does have a Twitch channel. He was streaming a lot when COVID happened, and uh, obviously we were podcasting a lot, so it was kind of nice to go on there, chat with him, and uh, talk about some GameCube. Uh, when I went on his, uh, when I would go on his chat when he was streaming, I got a little GameCube sound. That was my kind of startup sound, uh, which was pretty cool. So he'd be like, oh, Mike's here. GameCube is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd plug the podcast, which is really nice of him. But uh, yeah, we're uh, always happy to have him on to talk about Zelda. Uh, always like to hear his memories because he did play most of these Zelda games uh, at first try as soon as they came out. And, uh, you know, I I did it with Twilight Princess a bit, but I don't remember it as well as he did, honestly. And uh, so it was cool to kind of hear him talk about the scariness of it. And I like that he, uh, well, I'm kind of sad that he uh, didn't abstain because I wanted him to say RPG, but uh, for <laughs> for a question, but I, I, I did like that he kind of backed us up on the fact that, yeah, like Zelda, like Twilight Princess, when it first came out and a little bit after that, it was kind of just thought of as that, that Wii game that was also on GameCube and it was like kind of poorly done for the Wii. And uh, it wasn't really until the Wii U version came out that I think interest went back into it and people were like, yeah, this actually is a really, really good game and it uh, doesn't get uh, its time of day always. So it's uh, that's why we devoted over two hours to talking about it today, Neil. <laughs> oh, we knew this episode was going to be long. Like that was, that goes without saying, it's it's your and my, some of our favorite Zelda games on, uh, some of our favorite games on GameCube. So yeah, like it was going to be a good conversation. And it's totally true that Twilight Princess being a Wii game, it, for the longest time, up until Breath of the Wild, it was the best-selling Zelda game in the franchise at yeah. 9 million units. And it was just kind of like a shrug of a game like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Like, but yeah. you know, everyone or a lot of people bought it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the, we just had a tendency of making other games that were just way bigger, like Mario Kart and Wii Sports and Wii Sports Resort and it just got buried. You also have to think of the fact that of, uh, the launch day for the Wii, mm -hmm. like, like yeah. th there really wasn't much going on on that launch day. <laughs> like the, we had, uh, like Call of Duty three happy feet, yeah, there's like, 27, <laughs> there's like 27 Wii launch games. Twilight Princess and Wii Sports, I think, are pretty much the only two that mattered. Yeah. Um, but the same thing happened with Switch, where Tw Breath of the Wild was really the game to pick yep. up that day, unless you really wanted to play Snipper Clips and 1-2 Switch over Breath <laughs> of the Wild, and that's what you were buying. But yeah. the legs that Breath of the Wild has had over the years seems to be a little bit stronger than than Twilight Princess. But uh, yeah, we uh, we obviously really love the game. But I did want to talk to you, Mike, a little bit before we close out with our closing thoughts. I don't know if we've already covered this enough, but are there any parts or aspects about Twilight Princess that you would personally improve or something that is kind of rough to go back to and play, having played so many games in the last, uh, gosh, 15 years? <laughs> I, I honestly think the wolf parts for me, I think they just like... They don't do anything super new for me. They do something new for the Zelda world, for sure. 
But I think there's just so many better. I mean, I know you can't be a wolf in most things, but like <laughs> I, I think, I think you could have done the wolf parts a lot better in like if you like were to remake it like they did in the Wii U. I think they could have made that a little bit better. I understand how it worked for the GameCube. I don't expect it to be any better on the GameCube, mm-hmm. but I think the Wii U had a had a chance to make them more interesting, and just like. Also, the fact that I would want the ability to change between Link and Wolf Link immediately. Like, yeah. that would be, like, the first thing, because I kind of hate being stuck as Wolf Link sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because the controls were also a little janky, and it's kind of tough to to control that, that wolf that well, like, obviously, because uh, you're so used to controlling this boy forever. <laughs> and so it is something kind of different to go back to. But just the wolf... Um, experience in general i don't have like any specific maybe like different point of views how you're playing as him uh like very more specific things that you could do with uh, with the wolf mm-hmm. uh and i think just having um having the world be a bit more i guess open world so that the wolf can just kind of run around and hang out yeah. like like i think having the wolf in breath of the wild world would be a, a lot cooler actually yeah, being able to explore Breath of the Wild as Wolf Link would be would be really neat, actually. Maybe you can talk to all of the animals in the game, too. Like, sure, yeah. I, imagine how much dev time that would take to be able to talk <laughs> to every animal in the game. Um, but yeah, you're totally right. Like, the first, I'm going to say, like, t- third to half of Twilight Princess is really linear. Like, it's not even really open world for a little no. bit. You're getting kind of funneled into specific areas, and as Wolf Link, you can only stay in very specific areas. It's not until just about halfway through the game where it actually opens up and lets you be free and explore the open world, which the original Zelda game right away is an open world, and Breath of the Wild is an open world right off the bat. Um, yeah, I already talked a lot about how you know the wolf sections could be improved for sure. For me, it's just a really small quality of life things, honestly, that I would have preferred uh, that could have been implemented into um twilight princess the one thing for me right off the bat honestly and it's just traversing the world and that is Link's climbing is incredibly slow in this game like it's very nitpicky i know but like when it takes you a long time to climb a ladder or vines which you do quite a bit in this game i would have liked that to have been sped up a little bit again super small but just something that did does get in the way when you play newer games that are much more faster and kinetic uh also like every time i pick up a rupee i don't need to be told that it's worth five rupees Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> um, just like small things like that. Yeah, I little understand. things like that, like are, are just like okay. I I don't need to be told how many rupees I just picked up. My wallet increased. I know. And then like the last one, again, really small. That is the camera in this game. It is very good. I'll give you that. Moving left to right is totally fine, but you actually can't adjust the camera up, which is mm. weird. You can't. You if you uh, flick the C stick up, you go into first person mode. And if you go down, you kind of zoom out, and that's it. You don't really have the ability to look up and down at the sky ever or at the ground. It's only left and right. And again, the left and right camera is really good, but sometimes, like during the platforming parts, I did want to be able to move the camera vertically, and I couldn't. And I don't know if that was because the game, we we have already said a bunch of times, the game is beautiful. Like It's using the GameCube's hardware to the max for sure. Um, And I'm assuming that the way that they did that was the sky was not fully rendered ever, probably, so you couldn't look up just so that they could have higher textures on characters and environments. Uh, The sky and the ground weren't as... uh as detailed so that's probably just a technical limitation of the gamecube unfortunately but it is a fantastic game a game so fantastic in fact that it uh, does appear in a thousand and one video games you must play before you die so uh mike you have our favorite book there why don't you read what they have to say about twilight princess on gamecube i'm assuming 
on GameCube. I I would hope so. But uh, yeah, I think that is where this game shines, of course, as we've said many times. But uh, 1001 says, Twilight Princess is certainly everything the fans requested, but perhaps that's part of the problem. While it's still a magnificent adventure compared to the rest of this astonishing series, it can often feel a little hemmed in. So it's perhaps both a blessing and a curse that Return to Hyrule manages to work in so many traditional sequences and cameos. There are new ideas, though, too. Link can transform into a wolf at a press of a button, eventually, and search out <laughs> scent trails while the intrusion of frightening Twilight Realm leads to a neon tinge aesthetic that is a total departure from the series in general. If any series can get away with inventively riffing on its own, rather restrictive traditions, it's this one. While the last-minute conversion to motion control with a platform shift down from GameCube to Wii can feel a little tacked on, it's still a lavish, memorable, and warm-hearted adventure. This is a game that in any other series would stand out as a towering triumph, and only here, nestled among such auspicious siblings, seems tainted with a tinge of disappointment. Yeah. That's a really uh, interesting, and I think probably true way like to see this game, right? Because I, the last line especially, like, any other series, this game would be by far the best game in the series, like, without a question. And here, because there's so many other good games, and even, you know, Breath of the Wild eclipsing it as well, like, it's really hard to to stand out. It is. And that, that is almost like a really, it's a very honest review, and it's kind of sad yeah. in, in a way, like how, just how good it is, and just how overshadowed it is by, by future games um, and past games. But critical reception to Zelda games is always a little bit frustrating, like Skyward Sword getting perfect 10s when it came out, and like... <laughs> I don't know anybody that loves that game as much as some of the reviewers do in in 2011. Like I don't know where yeah. their head was at. It's it's really it's really is a strange franchise to to review and to uh, to read reviews of. But uh, yeah, I always love a thousand and one video games. It's a fantastic book. It, now I forget does that book rank the games from one to one thousand and one, or is it all just based on generations? Like does Twilight Princess have like a number attached to it? Just, just, just based on generations. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So no, no, no ranking or anything. It's not like number six hundred and two or something. Not number 602. It is the eighth best fan game, though, from Nintendo Life when they did their survey. So wow. uh, coming in at number eight. Uh, so obviously Wind Waker does beat it. But uh, yeah, eight, I think is actually a little low, maybe. But um, uh, I mean, uh, maybe maybe eight is the right number. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day we'll do a 100 best game. Uh, that's 100 best Nintendo games of all time, I suppose. That's the best. No, that's the, the best GameCube games. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought I thought you said Nintendo games. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, oh, it could be a little low, actually. Like, it could for be. eighth best, yeah. But yeah. Eh, maybe it is around there. I, I don't know. Oh. I, I I flip back and forth where it should be, but it's still definitely my third favorite uh, Zelda game of all time. But uh, Neil, we haven't read the back of the case yet. Uh, it's been over two hours, and <laughs> we still have this beautiful case waiting here for us to read. It's a lovely back of the case, Mike, so I'm going to read it right now. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Become a legend, the biggest Zelda adventure of all time. Take up arms against the dark creatures infesting your homeland as you explore a vast and dangerous world. Learn hidden skills like the Helm Splitter and Mortal Draw as you wield sword and shield against countless foes. Use heightened senses to search for clues as a sacred wolf when unnatural twilight blankets high rule. Good 
uh, good like uh, pictures here in the back too. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh, a link, link riding a Pona, which is nice. Uh, and is that min- oh what's what's flying above? Uh, something's flying above. Uh, uh, and then there's the Wait. like Twilight Knights as well that you're fighting, whatever you call mm-hmm. them. Yeah, and there's the uh, the swordsman there that teaches you all the skills too, which is something that not many or if any other Zelda games really do, which we didn't really talk about too much today, is that True. swordsman that teaches you uh, the new moves like Cam talked about, the spin move where you stab people in the butt. Um, that was a really cool thing that they did. It kind of takes you out of the game a little bit, but I liked it. I actually really liked that part, like when you're taken to kind of like this dojo almost and uh, yeah. this ancient swordsman. I think I've read theories where people say like that is Link, like from another from another realm Ooh. or whatever, but... I like that. There are so many theories from other Zelda games. We could uh, we could talk for hours about that, so we won't do that today. But, Mike, at the end of the day, do you recommend the folks out there pick up Twilight Princess? I think I know what your answer is already going to be, but perhaps you can uh, expand on it. Uh, I absolutely would if you can find it for a good price on GameCube uh, or, you know, find other ways to play it. Hint, hint. Uh, ah. Because <laughs> this is a really, really good game, and if you have any interest in Zelda and you haven't played it, then what are you doing? Get on it. And if you have played this game before, especially on Wii, I would go back to it because it, the Wii game is definitely the inferior version of it. And it definitely feels like very gimmicky and tacked on, like we said. Uh, and I think the Wii U is the, the probably one of the best versions just because it improved on a lot of small quality of life things as well. So uh, I would say if you can find a way to play it, that's not the Wii version. You should absolutely 100% play this game. Uh, and devote some hours to it because it is just a fantastic experience. Yeah, I totally agree. Obviously, this is a game I recommend picking up. This is one of the first big AAA first-party GameCube games that I ever played because I didn't play a lot of Zelda games back in the day or Mario games. This was uh, one of the first big Zelda games that I played, period. I was really just thinking about, in terms of Zelda games, when I would recommend playing this one, actually. Mm. Like, like, would you recommend this game first or maybe play some other ones before that? Actually, maybe that's a better way to ask this. I think I think you need to play Ocarina of Time first in terms of 3D Zeldas and then this one, honestly. And then maybe go back to Majora's Mask after you've played this one. I think this is a better sequel to Ocarina of Time, honestly, than, uh, than, yes. o- than Majora's Mask was. And then never play Skyward Sword, obviously. <laughs> Um, but I think this one being maybe a second or third 3D Zelda game would be the way to go. I don't think it's a good first Zelda game, no. but a 3D Zelda game, uh, definitely not a good last one to play. Like once you play Breath of the Wild, it's hard to go back to any of these. Well, um, see, I think yeah. like I would almost say because like Tristan mentioned how he showed his friends with Breath of the Wild who never played Zelda and now they're going back to all these old games. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? I think like there is a part of me that's like if you play Breath of the Wild, you'll never want to play anything else again. But at the same time, it's not a bad starter because it, it introduces you to the world, but in a very light sense. You're not kind of bogged down by story at all. There right. almost is no story in some senses. Mm-hmm. I think Twilight Princess wouldn't be a bad one to go to, and then maybe Wind Waker after that, and kind of just go down like like skipping Skyward, Skyward Sword. <laughs> um, which, but it's it really depends. It really depends on the person. Zelda is very much like a um, a custom thing for each person. And depending on what they like and depending on what games they played in the past, it really depends what I would, I guess, recommend them. Yeah, I think I think you do have to know the person you're talking to, but I think Breath of the Wild has to either be the first Zelda game you play or the last. Like, yeah, I don't I don't think I would you agree could, with that. I don't think you yeah. can go in the middle, like play play no. like Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Breath of the Wild, Twilight Princess, Wind Waker. Um, I think it does have to be either the first or the last one. I think if you're introducing someone who has already played open world games, 
and never played a Zelda game, I think that's when you start them with Breath of the Wild. But if they've never played an open world game, then you start them with one of the other 3D Zeldas and end with Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's a hard uh, that's a hard question, though. I, I like that. It's, it's, uh, luckily, I have a ways to go before I have to introduce people. I can't imagine introducing someone to Zelda, but uh, when we start having kids, I guess we'll inevitably have to do it. But uh, until then, Mike, do you where do you see Twilight Princess going forward? Do you think do you think we'll see another remake? Do you think the Wii U version will be ported to future consoles? Do you think we'll see a sequel? What uh, what do you want to see from Twilight Princess going forward? Well, there's a difference between what I want to see and what I think we will see. Sure. <laughs> uh, I what I want to see would be a uh, a complete uh, from the ground up remake and also a sequel. I want everything, but because uh, <laughs> um, I am like Cam as well, I don't care about graphics too much. I just want a game to work and have a, a obviously a good story and have a reason for me to play it. But um, for what I think would happen, and this might be a little off the ball. I think Netflix or like someone is going to use these stories in a Zelda series or whoever is going to end up doing Zelda. A lot of the Zelda stories are going to come from this game. And that's Mm -hmm. where I think Twilight Princess is going to live. As an as a Netflix or HBO original Twilight, honestly <laughs> HBO Twilight Princess kind of sounds cool. That honestly. would be sick. Oh my god, <laughs> like an edgy, gritty kind of like because like of all the games, I think uh, you know, like we've said before, I think this certainly has the most developed story and characters mm-hmm. in any Zelda game. So I think if you because I know there are rumors of Zelda coming as a TV series, like I think a lot of the stories are going to come from this game. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Uh, I, it's just hard to know. Like, will there be voice acting? Who will talk? Who will play the characters? At this point, we are yeah, years away from. <laughs> we are years past when they should have incorporated voice acting. I agree. I think I would like to see a Twilight Princess sequel at some point, and I don't want to hear people's defense that one of the, the other Zelda games is technically a sequel to Twilight Princess based on the Shut timeline. Up. Yeah, just just be quiet. <laughs> I would like to see the Twilight Realm come back in some way. Yes. I would love to see Minna come back as yes. a hot Minna, as uh, as Cam <laughs> said. I want to see these characters come back. I like this link style i like the world i like the hyrule castle i think it would be really cool to see it in um up on a new uh, on a new console so i think a direct sequel would be awesome it's uh years away probably never gonna happen but uh, that's what i would rather see i don't think we need to see another remaster port come out even though eventually the cycle will continue and nintendo will keep bringing their their games up to current hardware um I, I hope that they don't keep doing HD 4K remakes and 4K remasters. Like that's gonna that's gonna be really annoying. Uh, but we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. But Mike, while we're waiting for an HBO Twilight Princess TV series that eventually will come out starring uh, Chris Pratt, why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 124 of the GameCube is Cool podcast? Uh, yeah, that, I hope uh, Chris Pratt is not going to be playing Link, but maybe he'll be Minda. silent. So, you know, that's fine. <laughs> he could be Minda. <laughs> he <could> be Minda <laughs> well, uh, on episode 124, we are, of course, done uh, perhaps the biggest game we'll ever talk about uh, for the GameCube with Twilight Princess. And we're on to some other big games. It's Movie Tie-Ins Part 2, Neil, where we're talking about uh, games that came out after Twilight Princess, for the most part, if you can believe it. <laughs> uh, we got a lot of 2007 games when the GameCube was officially dead but hey games still came out for it anyways so it'll be fun to talk about some of the last gamecube games ever released and uh we're almost at the end of the library neil it's pretty exciting 
It's absolutely crazy. Being a GameCube fan in North America was a little bit different. In Japan, Twilight Princess was, I believe, the very last GameCube game ever to come out. But Mm. yeah, the GameCube was on life support after Twilight Princess came (laughs) out. And we mean that almost literally. Uh, It's it's very much going to be a tonal shift next week when we're talking about the remaining movie tie-ins, similar to what we did last week, talking about movie tie-ins from 2005 to 2007. All of these games and movies came out when Mike and I were in junior high and actually starting high school at this point, which is crazy to think. It's been so long since then. So uh, it's going to be a good time to round out the end of the GameCube's library, the last uh, seven or eight games or so, uh, to, to close out this month as well. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 123 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool. All patrons get the show ad-free and a little early. Thank you so much to everyone over there. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell all the versions of Minda, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. But specifically Hot Minna, if you could tell her, I say hi. Specifically Hot Minna. Now, Little Minna had a thing going too, though. She yeah, was she, kinda... was, she was kind of like, she was like, oh, Link, like maybe, like, I don't know. Well, I, you know what? I'd rather her than Ilya, because Ilya loses her memory, Ooh. and then you have to do that quest, and you don't even really get much out of it. She's like, oh, hi. Thanks for getting my memory back. She also has a weird bowl cut going on. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of that. Minda's got the, the pretty cool helmet. I'm not quite sure what the functionality of it was, but just an all-around better design. Person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All around better person design. <laughs> Correct.